Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Let's uh, pick off where we, let's not waste any time. Let's go right to where we were learning yesterday. Last night we learned a couple of hours, the discourse Basi Lagani, 57.23. And now we continue, we're holding a middle sif Dalit, a Perik Dalit. Um, actually, we finished Perik Dalit, we're holding a Perik Hay. I just want to go over a point of Perik Dalit, where we left off. Anybody that wants to dedicate the, this class or these all these classes for Basri Lagani, we had not had any dedication, so retroactively you can pick it up if you'd like. Let me know. Thank you. Big schus, big huge merit for all the blessings. Okay. We are holding over here um, in Perikei. Okay. So the last thing we learned is a major, a major chiddush, a major novelty. The novelty is that. Uh, although we always talk about how souls are considered the high part of the divine realm, in this discourse he makes like a, a sudden a sudden shift in which he places the souls as part of the lower existence, most souls of the generations. And 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 the previous rabbi just makes such a statement. You know, even though there are souls that are uh, of the considered divine, because they're are in a state of absolute oneness with Hashem. They're in, they're in Atsilus uh, consciousness, consciousness of the world of emanation, yet most souls are in created consciousness. Uh, that's all he says. Now the Rebbe, however, our Rebbe, when he, when he explains this, explains why that is. As I mentioned yesterday, the little example is like when you're standing online and you realize there's a, the other line is going better than this line. It's suddenly we realize that there's something very speci special being in the low. It's like where Hasidus comes and turns the whole world topsy-turvy, upside down. The whole world gets flipped over. Once we find out that God's inner interest is in the lowest, then you have to, you want to consider a second time if you want to be part of the high, you want to be part of the low. So we find out over here, the Rebbe says now, that most souls are part of the garments. They're not part of the body of God. So again, you have the infinite light itself. Then you have, let's go over just the ideas. You have what he calls the worlds that are, they're, they're infinite worlds that are higher than the world of emanation. There is no vessels, there's no containers. In that sense, you just have to try to, and, and he also refers to it as Adam Kadmon, primordial man. On that level, you have to figure out if there's no vessels, there's no containers, how even do we refer to it as a world? What makes it a world? Why isn't it just the infinite light? So not for now. He doesn't philosophize about that. He doesn't get into that. But that's what he discusses earlier. So that's just the level of Hashem himself. And, and, this, and, 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 and to whatever degree we call the world the world, but the world is completely swallowed up in the light. Um, and that's why the worlds themselves are completely infinite. Then there is the world of Atsilas, which is already an God enclosing himself in a body, in vessels. But since that's a body, just like our soul and our body become one, and we can't say when you're a living being, it's not like you are a soul and you have a you have this, this truck that you're driving around your body or this car that you're driving, this vehicle. Your body is not your vehicle. Your body is one with your soul to the point that you, together with your soul, become one human being, or we become one human being, soul and body together. So to God unifies with his attributes, not only with the lights of the attributes, not only the energy of the attributes, but also the containers of the attributes, the kalim, and thereby he becomes absolutely one with it. And that's the world of Atsilas, where he and his emanations and he and his garments or, or his, 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 his vessels and containers are totally one. So that's the, and that's called high. And we learned in the discourse, if you remember, again, I don't suggest anybody pay attention to learn this before you learn what we learned yesterday. 
and the day before, this is already part three. It's important because I'm not elaborate. We got to move. So um, the idea is that the unification, that on that level, we say it's not a great novelty to say that the infinite can manifest itself and, and then even reveal itself in these two dimensions. Because after all, as the words of the Rebbe, in these, in these two dimensions, you have a state of achtos, a state of unity. There's no separateness. And if there's no separateness, that's a vessel, a, a keli for the orient self. That's a vessel for the orient self. So the fact that the orient self can reveal itself in a vessel for it, that's that's not such a big deal. The big deal that we say, the quality the Zohar talks about, that the Orin Sof comes down la mata mata, comes down low low, must be that it breaches and it the barrier of of the divine and moves into the non-divine. And that is the three lower worlds called the actual realm of creation, which is divided in three on its own, uh, the world of creation, the world of formation, and the world of completion, which is the physical material world. God descends all the way down. Now, this level is called garments, just like a garment is not one with the body. You, you're not one with your pajamas. You can take it, you wear them when you go to sleep. You're not one with your pants, your shirt, your clothing, your socks and shoes, your hat, whatever it is. They are garments to you. You enclose yourself in it, but it's not you. So, too, these worlds are considered garments to God. Remember, we learned yesterday, all three of them consist of one set of garments, and that's that, but they're, and they're separated, and the novelty is that God does descend and even his infin infinite light manifests itself and reveals itself even in garments notwithstanding their inherent finitude nature because once you're separated from god then you're finite meaning in your own imagination that you're separated that itself you know sets locks locks the entity into its boundaries of time and space and yet, the, the novelty of God's, you know, omnipotence and his infinite ability is that he could channel himself down even into something that's separated from him. Now, we learned that souls, most souls come from the garments. There are one soul in every generation, primarily, Sadiqim, the Moshe Rabbeinu of every generation, whose soul is on the level of Atsilus. Moshe Rabbeinu, he traces Moshe Rabbeinu's, we learned yesterday's soul, all the way into the highest point of Silas, the essence of God's Chachma, of Hashem's wisdom, which is higher even than the Torah. And that's why in Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah comes from him, because Torah is called Novlos, it's droppings that come from Chachma. And that's also the reason why Moshe had a hard time speaking, because he had time, he had a hard time even speaking Torah. For Moshe speaking Torah, whether it's the written Torah or the oral Torah, it was an enormous descent for his soul and a contraction and a and a and a and a and a and a filtration, an enormous filtering of his intense energy to filter himself into to be able to speak words of Torah. And the Rebbe continues and he says, in every generation there is that one Moshe soul who can teach Torah. These souls are called brothers, wild stuff. This stuff is, you know, this is like <laughs> this is wild. Uh, these souls are called brothers to God. When we say God, we mean Hakadosh Baruch Hu brothers because they have the same parents. Now, God has parent? No, because we discussed. It's referring to the manifestation of Hashem's, the divine emotions, which are called HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And these souls that come from, because they are derived from the Yichud, from the unification of Chachma and Bina, that's their father and mother. Just like the Ze'er Amp in the six emotions of God is a child 
it's the derivative of the Chachma and Bina. So to these souls are the Chachma Bina. Now, all other souls, he says, are born already into the next world, Bria. Yetzira and Asiya depends. There are souls that are from the world of Asiya, the lowest of the low. And that's not something to be ashamed of. As we're learning now, it's actually where the main purpose of creation lies is in those that are disconnected. So either or, if you're from a high soul, great for you. It's good. A much greater spiritual capacity. But if you're from the lower souls and therefore more separated and more disconnected, then the, the pleasure you can give God is to a much greater degree because even someone so separated from me is still unified with me. So that's either way you cut it, we're doing well. Okay? So if souls are one of these three worlds, anybody else who's... However, he did add one more possibility of a soul. That's a soul that's in Atzilus. It's also very high neshamas, neshamas gevoas, very high souls. It, it is a divine soul, but a little tiny spark of the divine. And therefore, it can't be a Torah teacher. What we mean it can't be a Torah teacher doesn't mean that you can't give a share like me. I'm not a soul from Atzilus at all. I don't know where my soul comes from. I don't know one knows where they are, but um, the the your soul, okay, we don't, we don't really know. But what we're talking about a teaching of Torah means a transmitter of real light and a conduit for, for teaching, like a, a Rebbe. So it, you can be a tzaddik, and therefore you have a very high soul. You can be a tzaddik. Even a tzaddik, a saintly person, but not a not a rebbe, not a real rebbe, which means a real transmitter of Torah knowledge, new innovative Torah knowledge to the world. Um, you're not really able to do that. Why? Because in order to communicate Torah, you have to have a relationship to the essence of Chachma. The souls that come from the unity of husband and wife, the masculine and the feminine element of the lower spherot of Atzilut. Now here's important, there are two couples in Atzilut. In the world of emanation, there are two couples. There is father and mother, which are called the intellectual faculties, Chachma and Bina, and that's at the very tippy top of the world of Atzilut. Then there is son and daughter, which is which is the six emotions versus Malchus, kingship. There again is male and female. In both these cases, there is a marriage and both these cases, there are children that come from the marriage. When we say in order to be a soul, to be able to teach Torah, you have to be a, a, a child of Chachma and Bina itself. If you're a soul that is a product, not of Chachma and Bina, not of the male and female aspect of the divine mind, but of the male and female aspect of the divine emotions unifying with divine speech, which is Malchus. So even if you're a product directly of Atzilus, so you have within yourself, it, you're still in a state of unification with Hashem. You're above being a creation. Your consciousness is not created consciousness. You can't channel Torah into the world uh, because you only have a little droplet of Chachma. And that's not enough to be a, a, a source of, of, of Torah into the world. Only souls that are called Achim Vereim, as he refers to them, brothers and friends of the infinite, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, those souls, these are, and the Rebbe says, that's who our teachers are. That's who we're studying their teachings. That's why we spend hours upon hours learning these teachings, because these are different than all the other teachings you'll find. These are souls that in the latter generation have the same soul as Moses, Moshe Rabbi. Okay. Um, but most other souls are from the low. And what does low mean? They're in the state of separate consciousness. They come from the garments, and they're not part of the unification. 
Um, now, however, now he's going to explain that although souls are, we can generally now um, establish all neshamah souls as being part of the mata, part of the low, not of the high. But yet in the low itself, it's the innermost point, the godliest point of the low, not, not the external part of the low. Our bodies is the external part of the low. Our soul is the inner innermost of the low. And the angels are the are the are the um, middle. They're not as low as the they're not as external as the body. They're not as internal as the soul. They serve as the bridge between the body and soul. Okay, let's see what that means. And now he continues in the discourse. Gufa, but, but he says as follows that in Biya, Biya means Bri Yatsirinasiya, in the three lower worlds, in which we've just established that most souls stem from this level, Hineanishamis and Pnimis. The souls are Pnimis, the souls are the inner part. Umalachim and angels, Chitsainius, they are considered external. As awesome as everybody gets excited about angels, they are more, far more external um than souls which are considered internal which means much deeper they're the highest point of all of these created realms the ones that are first and most receptive of divine input and therefore the most sensitive to the divine truth they're not fully absorbed in the divine uh, because then they would be part of the world of atzilus and then they themselves would be divine they have some some bit of a sense of separation. That's why they belong part of the garment reality. But in the garment, it's almost like the part of the garment that directly touches the body, as opposed to the in a garment you have like the inside of the garment and the outside of the garment. It's like in the laws of writing a sefer Torah. It's very interesting when you learn the laws of writing tefillin, mezuzahs, um, the, all these holy objects. It's always written on parchment. But the type of parchment you use, it differs from tefillin mezuzah to a Torah. I don't remember all the details. We study it every year when we learn the Rambam. That Torah or the mezuzah, again, which one I don't remember which, is in some of them you write it on the part of the hide. It's written on the on the parchment, which parchment is made up of it coming from the hide of an animal. Now, the, it, the question is, are you writing it in the inside of the parchment which means the parchment that touches the flesh animal that touches the flesh or the backside the one that's on the to the outer side so it depends till and mezuzahs there's also you can every every time you remove a hide you cut the hide the hide is thick you can cut it and create two two layers of it and that's what they do when they write the tefillin mezuzahs so again there's a whole discussion the inside the outside so in a garment, there's the, there's the inner part of the garment that touches the body, the outer part of the garment that is obviously to the outside. So the same is also, although all three worlds are called garments, yet there's in each world, there's the inner part of the world that is the most contact with the divine, which are the souls, the most external part of the world, which is the actual creations, the world itself with everything that's in it, right? Everything that exists in that world. And then there is the middle of it, which are the angels. Let's see. 
Malachim Chitzainiyas, and the angels are called external, and worlds, and Chitzainiyas to Chitzainiyas. They are considered external of external, the most outer part, Adkan. That's what he brings from his father in law's discourse. With Tzadach Love, and we now we need to understand. Why is such detailed um, emphasis given in the discourse? What does it have to do with the continuation of the discourse? Again, the theme of the discourse is to explain how God descends down, 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 and even into the lower, which are the garments. And then he goes on and he says, souls are part of the lower. And the reason we spoke yesterday, he has to mention that, is because he, he, he wants to say that everything that exists exists within the souls. Both the fact that God is high, high, high without an end, that is somehow included and connected to the to, to our souls. Because in all the other discourse we will learn, we will find out that at the true root and essence of our soul is high, and as high as you go, as deep as you go in God, you will always find the soul inside of it. There isn't a point where you can get to in in god's seclusion and 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 removal and 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 private self where the souls do not go along that's the, the one place we learn on the other hand here we're learning that souls now they're part of the law and the reason is he explained because everything that there is has to be in the soul so there is from one angle the souls are rooted in the essence of essence on the other hand their main position is that souls are part of the law and therefore, God relates to them as he relates, as we say, that he can come down low, 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 which means he comes down into the world as he comes into the finiteness. In that sense, we're looking at the structure of the soul where the, the soul is finite. Yeah, so if that's, and then he wants to say how within this system, within the soul and all creations, the infinite passes through. Hashem dwells further and further out. Why does he need to discuss this idea that within the worlds itself, their souls are the closest? So the Rebbe is explaining. The idea is this is this is coming to tell you as follows: that notwithstanding the fact that most souls are don't enjoy the level of divinity in which we can say that they are one with God, literally they're part of the very structure of the Hashem, but rather they are of the garments. Which they are part of the world's bria of creation, yitzira formation, and asiya, which are separated. But it's primarily those souls, meaning to say, not the great saintly tzaddikim. If Hashem would have wanted our souls, in order for our souls to be and to actualize the purpose, if the great thing is to be part of God, then God would leave most souls be part of, be be on the level of Atzilus. Why does Hashem produce most souls to be not Him, but to exist already as part of the garments? That's because in order to fulfill, since the souls are the ones that fulfill the purpose of creation, they need to be, uh, and the purpose of creation is realized in a separate being that 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 joins and becomes connected not in beings that are inherently one with god to begin with there is no pleasure that in their service the service is when we have free choice when we have egos when we have a strong sense of beingness which tries to and therefore have all kinds of desires wants and 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 experiences that are not godly and we have to overcome these urges wants and do the godly thing.
so he says, so that's what he explains, notwithstanding the fact that souls are, most souls are of the created nature, it is precisely with them, and through them, who comes to, is, is accomplished the service, make for me a temple, I will dwell amongst them. The temple has to be in the external world. The temple is not created and carved out of God. The temple is made, God says, I want a home in the low. So I want the, the world that experiences itself outside of me, and yet I want it to invite me in and make me comfortable in it. So that's why we have to, now, if so, why isn't everybody part of the world? Why are there tzaddikim? Why are there righteous? The Moshe Rabbeinu souls, the great rabbis, the great tzaddikim, that they are in a state of unification. The answer is, if we wouldn't have one or two souls that are live in absolute truth, then we would be completely overrun by the darkness of the world, and we would drown in the darkness. We would not realize. We need one soul to anchor us and keep reminding us of who we really are and what the mission is and what the purpose is. This is the point of the entire discourse. The ultimate intention. When the uh, when the, uh, the the treasure chests, treasure troves are squandered. Remember, we said in order to to win the battle and make the world to vanquish the darkness and make the world into a godly place, God throws everything He can to help us, including the deepest, highest revelations. So, but where is the intent? The intent is those that are struggling in the darkness and over here they oh they, those who enter into enemy territory that's the whole point it's a victory it's a war is in order for a soul that it should be able to fulfill its mission in this world and what is the mission to make the world into a dwelling place for god and which means that we should take the falsehood of the world the world is full with false lies. And to take that very false world and turn it into Krashim Lamishkan. This is one of the ideas he discusses in the beginning of the discourse. That the 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 the, the physical tabernacle was made out of these beams of wood, which those beams of wood, the Torah calls them keresh. Keresh means a beam. In the plural, they're called krashim. Now the word keresh is the same letters as the as the word sheker. Which comes to tell you that we take physical substances, which the physical is deceptive, the physical is dishonest, because physicality and all the klipa that it dwells in the physical world is constantly denying God, which is a lie. And that very world that denies God, which continuously lies to us, we have to sort out the lies and look for the truth that's in it and then overcome the darkness and the lies and reveal the truth and turn it into a beam which will support and be a home for god but in order to do that you need to live in that darkness if you're completely outside of it if you're a divine being and your consciousness is divine being then you're not can't rectify to rectify you have to be a member to make a change for example you know if if if, if i need to change if i want to make a change in the united states of america I need to have voting rights. I can only have voting rights if I'm a citizen of the United States. If I'm a citizen of another country and I'm not a citizen, I say I, I have no vote. So we cannot vote God in, choose God, 
and reject the unholy unless we are citizens of the darkness. To be a citizen of the darkness means that our consciousness has to be a consciousness of creation where we're given a vote, where we can possibly vote, God forbid, no God. And then we can vote, yes, God. So in this state, we can, and for that, we have to be a lower soul. The great uh, or saintly tzaddikim, they don't have free choice. They're just a channel. Okay, they have free choice on, in, in, in higher levels, but not in this choice of, 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 of acknowledging God or denying God. They can't because they are so one with Hashem. There's no denying. But most souls have to be given a chance. And therefore, we have to take up residency in the world that we are. And once we take the substance of this world and we turn it, we 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 we, we um, ready it to be able to receive God, then we do more than that. We actually draw the divine into it by doing a mitzvah and the like. And this is why he says, in order for us to be able to do that, the souls need to be the innermost of the world. In other words, on the one hand, we need to be residents of the world. But on the other hand, we can't just be a little shmegegi who exists as a, on the outside, on the outer peripheral of existence, because then our choices won't really move the big, this big, enormous world. After all, how many are, are there? Think about Jewish people in the world. There is, there is uh, I don't know, 15 million, maybe 20 million. And you're talking about a world with 8 billion people. And it's not only people, it's all the other substances and, and entities that there are in creation. How are we going to move? So you have to have people that can move mountains. You have to have people whose who's, who's every single choice of action has incredible ramifications. And I was like, like you know, in, 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 in winning an election, it's one thing to have citizens voting for you, but then you need to have a couple of people that are huge influencers. You know, there are people that are enormous influencers. And, you know, people turn to them, who should we vote to? It's like these, um, like, like these uh, uh, stars, even though stars, they, 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 they shouldn't mix into politics because just because you're, you're a good actor doesn't make you a, a very brilliant, uh, a very brilliant, uh, you know, being who knows how, you know, what's, you know, you have an opinion just like anybody else has an opinion. But that's just the way it is. When an actor or a, or a, or a, basketball player and so on you know puts out a tweet vote for so and so thousands of people will follow so that's called an influencer in order for the jewish people to be have huge influence in the world we need to be rooted in the inner part of the world as opposed to the external higher than the angels and in that sense when we make a choice we're moving mountains we're influencing we have our little choices has huge influence on masses of people. It's obviously subconscious. People don't even realize it or don't know it, but that's just the way it is. We make a good choice, a choice to, 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 to transcend our egos and serve a higher purpose. It trickles down to millions of people to be a little bit more sensitive to, to, the, to, to the godly and to the holy. That's the way it is. So that's why he says, the souls are the innermost, because through the inner inner force of creation, with the assistance of the media, the, the medium level, which is the external, but not the external of the external. So put it this way: 
the physical creations, the material creations themselves, the actual creatures and beings on all levels, inanimate, vegetable, animal, and even human. All of them are considered part of the external, external element of existence. The Jewish souls, the soul is considered the inner, inner point of these three lower worlds, the inner, inner point. Now the soul goes into a body. So the inner, inner point is a spiritual being, very highly conscious of God, going into the most external part, which is the body. And together, right, but there is a mediator that helps out. And those are angels. Angels are not as lofty as the souls. They're not as coarse as the as the as the rest of creation. So they have a level of sensitivity and a level of refinement, and they can translate the higher consciousness of the soul and communicate that into the world. Now we don't necessarily realize how the angels are assisting, but the angels have huge power in this assisting. So they play a role in it as well. They're the couriers of the inspiration of the souls out into the outer world. It's almost something like this. It's almost like the souls because they're so refined and they're so elevated and they're so elegant. They don't necessarily have um, a a language. A a uh, they don't have the 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 communication skills to communicate to the outside world because they're too refined. Their message is too lofty. So there has to be a translator. And the translator in the middle is angels. So, uh, which is the angels. And that's why the word malach in Hebrew, which means an angel, also means an emissary. Because the angels are really emissaries of the souls. Nifal, it accomplishes, it, it, it enables, it enables and it facilitates the soul's mission, which the mission is accomplished on the most external level of existence, which is the actual physical world. In the external of the external, which is the world. In other words, where is God's satisfaction ultimately realized? In all of creation, all of existence, God wants that the newspapers, literally, the actual media, the newspaper, which is what you would argue is the most external part of existence. That's where ideas are exchanged of the most today's and today's days, call it social media, call it at the most external, external part, the minds and hearts of people in the most outside world, not right. That that should be consistent with God's will. That's where it counts. The influencers, are the souls and the inner, 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 inner core. But it's so important. Now, and therefore, here's the thing. It, the purpose is not realized if Jews, holy souls, are acknowledging God. It's not realized that. It's all of the 8 billion people on the planet. This, these truths need to get through to everybody. And there needs to be a refinement in all of existence. The movers and the shakers are the souls, the ones that direct it. And nifl shlichus aneshama bechitzainis dechitzainis and the external, the external shua elamos. So you have again three souls, angels, and then worlds, similar to the three 
floors of the ark that we discussed earlier. Lastly, what's the objective? To make from the world, which is chitzainiest, the chitzainiest, what's the world? The most external of the external. Make that mishkan lo yizbarach. It should be a home, a dwelling place. That means it should be visible to the naked eye. When you walk down the street, you should see a divine morality. You should see a divine ethics. You should see a divine kindness. You should see a world that is in sync with what Hashem desires and wants. Now, here's a very important thing. If this is the role, you might feel like you want to throw up your hands and give up. Because most of us, when we look out into the world, we see so much darkness, so much evil, so much corruption, so much so much uh, criminality, so much immodesty, so much, and it don't look like this world is holy. And you might even argue and think that things seem to be getting worse. So that's why it's important to understand that what is being shown to us most of the time are the unrectified parts of the world that we still need to fix. The media and the news centers are thrive on sensationalism and they like sensation and what sells when they jar you with dark stuff that's sad so what you know, they, that's what makes us like you know that's why they get our attention so from the from the literally hundreds of millions of people that are trying to live decent good lives and be good people and are god conscious so many people especially in america it's like incredible they don't shine the spotlight on any of these people. They're looking for the troublemakers and the criminal and the this, and that's what they're pointing at. Not the millions of people who every time a tragedy happens or something happens, they, they run, they help, they take their shirt off the back to help in any way possible. The enormous goodness that happens in the world. How did this happen? A world with such sensitivity and such goodness. It's just not, it's not highlighted. So, you know, we think the world is so bad, but it's not. And actually, the world has improved a gazillion fold from what the world was way back thousands of years ago. The world has learned how to be kind and giving and caring and sensitive and so on and so forth. Yes, there's still pockets of darkness, and there's still little, and that's why we're still here doing mitzvahs to still clarify and 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 allow the godly to filter down everywhere and every place. But um, we ought to take all the negative news that we see all the time with a grain of salt and know that that's not if we were to take a truth thermometer and, and take the temperature of the world we would see a world that is already very 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 purified and very much attached to the god to the divine will and it takes a little bit rewiring of our head to get to that space i know a lot of people have a very bad opinion of of humanity but that's not the truth in any case, let's continue. Remember, I said yesterday, we, we learned yesterday that what? That in the discourses, the Rebbe, in this, the Yudshvat, the particular ones that are the, the discourses in which the Rebbe inaugurated his leadership, he intentionally um, uh, included in his discourse teachings from all of his predecessors. And I discussed the spiritual meaning of that yesterday. That it is that is because he's downloading the, the 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 godly lights 
that make up his leader, his 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 um, his position as leader, because he's the seventh, and the seventh doesn't have anything of its own because it's the moon, it's the power of Malchut. It, it needs all the light from the previous, and then it takes it and releases it on a level far superior than everything before him. But it first has to receive. It's a recipient. The, the attribute of kingship. So therefore, in the Rebbe, every single year, he would download from all the eight teachers. We had the Balshemtov already, and we had already in this discourse, the Balshemtov was the one where we discussed the Ark, the three floors. We had the discussion of the Alter Rebbe already two times in the discourse, but primarily where we discussed the differences of souls, that most souls are from the lower world and just the souls of Moshe Rabbeinu, the giving of the Torah from the higher. Now he's bringing between the Balshemtov and the Alter Rebbe, the Magid, the Mizritra Magid, the Dov Ber, a teaching from him. The teaching is going to focus on the idea that the souls are the ones that are the chief influences of creation because within the world, they're the innermost of the world. And he brings a beautiful teaching of the Magid. With this, we can explain the teaching of the Magid. In the book or Torah, in Tehillim, Okay, there's, a, in, there's the book of Or Torah, is the light of Torah, which is the teachings of the Holy Magid. And he has teachings on, on, on all of scripture, on all of Torah. And included over there is the part that is on Psalms. So in the beginning over there, he explains, Amayim and Azal, on this that the sages say, The angels cannot sing song, Atshe Yisrael, Amayim the, the, the sages say an amazing thing. Angels above are not given permission to sing. We know angels sing all day. That's what they're into. Okay, They are singing beings. They're always, they're always singing to God. Now, the, but it says the angels are not given granted. They cannot open up their song until Jews below the, the, uh, uh, pray. And when we, um, in our prayers, we also, we also are singing to God, whether we're singing it with a tune or just saying it, but it's still considered a praise. And actually, it's related to today, because in today's Torah portion that we learn, Chumash, it's the song of the sea, Shira Sayam. And it's talking about Uz Yashir Moshe, Moshe and the Jewish people saying. But he says an amazing thing. So the, the Zohar says, not the Zohar, the Talmud says. Um, where is the teaching from? Yeah, it's a teaching of the Talmud, Tractate Chulim. The Gemara says that the, the angels cannot sing until the Jewish people sing. Shanemar, and there's a verse for that. It's a it's a it's a verse in Eov in Job. It says, uh, when they sing together the stars of, of the morning. Who are the stars of the morning? That's referring to souls. Souls are called stars. God says to, to, to Abraham, I'm going to compare your children. Uh, look up at the stars, scars of the sky, at the stars of the sky. Um, if anybody can count the stars, so your children will be counted. So, so, so the, the, the souls are compared to stars. And after that verse, it goes on to say, and afterwards, they shouted out all the Bnei Elohim. The Bnei Elohim are the angels. They're called Bnei Elohim, or these uh, divine beings. So um, in that sense, so you see from there that they not, they that they have to wait until the Jewish people sing Shir. So this is what the Talmud says. Comes the Magid, and the Magid explains what's the what's the depth over here. Why is that? Yesh lefarish al pi hakdama yedua. 
So simply you can say, because God, his main intention, his true desire is to hear his children, the souls are called his children to sing. So before anybody else can sing. But he says, no, technically, they it's not just they're not given permission. They simply cannot sing until the souls sing. Why? So he says like this, the Yisrael, that the, 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 the Midrash says that Israel, which means referring to the souls of Israel, have arisen in God's thoughts. The angels are part of creation. And, and all of creation was created through divine speech. So angels are rooted in God's words. God spoke and they came into being. Ubiruach piv, in the breath of his mouth, called Savam all the hosts, which referred to the hosts of angels. Everything is created through God's speech. But just like a human being, before you speak, you think. And think and thought is far deeper than, than speech. Speech is just the exiting of the thoughts to the outside. Thinking is 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 it connected to the person himself, to the inner being? And like it is below by a person. So just now, but what we know that in order for a person to talk, and that you talk, your, your speech that you're talking should be should should have content and should be meaningful, not just empty words, empty letters, but it should have con content. You have to think first. You know, people that talk before they think, those are usually not too, uh, their words don't are not too, let's just put it, are not that impactful in a good way, in a positive way. It can be destructive, but not, 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 not uh, very productive words. You think first, and then you have a clear, a clear message in your thoughts, and then you can give over those thoughts in speech. Since souls are God's thoughts, and the angels are God's speech, or are created by God's speech. Souls are stemming from Hashem's thoughts. So souls are much deeper than angels. And therefore, everything must be stimulated first by the souls, just like thought stimulates speech. That is not about them, just like it is by a person. A person cannot emanate words from his mouth if he's not thinking first in his mind and the thought enlivens the speech that means the more intense the thoughts are the more in, the more you're thinking then you're actually even when you speak the words the words are like rich they're full of saturated with energy you know if if you if you're talking and you didn't prepare your words a lot of times that that that, that speech is lacking it's lacking vigor, it's lacking. But when you thought about it, then it's deep thoughts and you're conveying it into speech. It brings energy and life force into the speech. Now, it's possible that a person just drops a couple of words without thinking, but usually as we see two things. Number one, they won't be too, too meaningful. Number two, they're, they're lacking energy. When a person drops a few words without thought, the words are lacking intelligence. The same is also above. The angels are created, says the holy Magid. All the angels, they're created from the word of God. And therefore, now we understand why they cannot sing 
because their singing is the verbalization of the deeper song, which are the which are the thoughts. Just like it is in speech and in and in um, and in thought, the same is also the words of a song, as opposed to the energy of thought that that is driving the the inner experience, which is driving the song. So, in other words, a person first is singing in their heart or singing in their mind before they sing it out in their in their in their in their. Uh, now, it happens simultaneously, but there's still a inner 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 song taking place, and then the 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 the, the, the it's coming out to the outside, but that's the external of the internal. It's only when Israel, all of them, that have risen in thought. They're the ones who begin to say Shira. You know what happens? They trigger the thinking. They trigger this cosmic thinking thoughts. Thoughts of excitement towards the Creator. In other words, they're now triggering thoughts of in the in, in the in the spiritual realms above. There is a flow of thought, an excited thought about God. And which then later translates into those who into the revelation of it through the through the through the angels when they're singing so the angels start singing it and give it vocalize it so now the angels that are the element of speech they can also speak the praises of god after we thought those praises out into thought now they can speak it just like we said earlier, like we said earlier, that only after there is first thought, then there can be speech. And which kind of speech? That it should be with uh, um, uh, intelligence and wisdom and reason and the like. And then he concludes in or Torah, in the which means in the in that teaching of the Holy Magin Amar, and this is what it says. Shir Hashirim, right? Asher Lushlomo, right? The, 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 there is the song of songs that is to King Solomon. King Solomon wrote a song, and it's called the Song of Songs. So why is it called the Song of Songs? Because King Solomon is the leader of the Jewish people. He's the son of King David. He's the one who's, right? He, and King David created song, but what kind of song? It's the song of the souls. So the reason it says the song of the songs is because all song of all the celestial beings are triggered by this song, because the song of King Solomon is the is the is the is the is the song of thought, that is the backbone and the underlying force that brings forth all the singing that there is by the angelic beings. What does it mean? When King Solomon says the song, and it's in King Solomon is not only speaking on his behalf, he's speaking on behalf of all of Israel, because he's the root soul, and he in his soul was included all the souls in his generation. And when he sang he, that song representing all the song of all of Israel is the underlying uh, force that triggers the external song, which is from the angels. Shir Shah Yisrael Goidim, the song of Israel uh, causes a lot of singing in the upper world. Through the song of Israel, that produces the song of the angels. Now, the angels sing, but we know it doesn't stop there. It also creates singing in the actual creations. 
So when you see people, human beings on the street singing, all the music that there is in the world, but even more than that, the birds chirping and all the animals barking and giving off their sounds. You know, there's a famous midrash that tells you what exactly all species of animals and creatures, everybody is singing. The world is a, is a singing world, but who's producing it? First, it's the song of the souls. The song of the souls trigger the song of the angels and the songs of the angels trigger the song of the worlds on the outer world. Adla of all the worlds and, and, and including also the upper worlds, but it's all dependent on the, on Israel singing. And this is the same idea that it says in this our concept of the mimer. The nishamas and panimias, that the souls are the inner core. Malachim, the angels, chitzainias, are considered external. And the world, chitzainias, the chitzainias, the external of the external. So just like it is in singing, that the, the song that it, that to sing to God is triggered by the souls and cannot happen unless the souls trigger it first. The same is also, um, same is also regarding everything or making a home for God in this world appearing this world, transforming this world, making this world into a godly place requires first that the, it, it requires the soul should be the ones that are doing it because that's where the power lies to move around. But again, on the other hand, it can't be souls that are too lofty because the souls that are too lowly, that are completely outside of the world, they don't impact the world because they're above the world. It has to be souls that are in the world, but within the world, they're the, they're the soul of the world. The inner part of the world. They're citizens of the world, but influencers, as we discussed earlier. Shaidei apnimi is through the innermost neshama souls. Nimshach kam bechitzainis. It impacts also the external. Vad lechitzainis to chitzainis, all the way outward to the most external. Shazal inyan olamos. This is the idea of the world. Ella, but rather shemakol makoim mekiv and shaolam is beyavim chinis levushim nifradim kanal. But notwithstanding, now we walk. We 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 walked it back the other way. And earlier he said that most souls are low, part of the garments, part of the separate state. Now he went and he walked it back because he said souls within the world, souls are the innermost. So which means we're high, uh, that souls are high. Now he says, notwithstanding the fact that they're higher, they're still part of the world. So uh, since the worlds of three, the three lower worlds, creation, formation, and action, are of the garments that are separated. as we said earlier. And they move and it's understood. It's not only referring to the worlds themselves and even the midsection, which are the external. And and the angels, but it also imply, applies even to the highest innermost of these three lower worlds. Although it's the inner, it's still part of a separate entity. So it applies also to the souls, which souls? Most of the souls, which are the Bria, Yetzir, and Asiya of creation, formation, and completion. The Mekivan Shehem Nisham is the Bia, since after all, they're part of the souls of the three lower worlds. They are exist in a state of separation. Which means, notwithstanding how high they are, they're still not in a state of perfect attachment to God. They're like a garment that is garbing God, but they're not one like a body. Like 
been emphasized in what the Alter Rebbe says we discussed earlier, the difference between Moshe's soul and the other souls. Like we discussed earlier, no, this is the first, sorry, not, not Lakuti Torah that he mentioned now, but Lakuti Torah that we mentioned at the beginning of the discourse, which over there he talks about the three, the three worlds that God has, that we brought from the Zohar. The Lepidish Abalshemtov, Lepidish Aramaz, according to the Balshemtov who explains in the in the ark, the lower world is referring to the uh, is referring to worlds. The middle world is referring to souls, and the upper world is re and the upper floor is referring to the divine. Remember, and then we attach the same teaching to the Pirush of the Ramaz, who says that the three worlds that God has, the th the three lower worlds, Bri, Yatsir, and Asiya, is considered worlds. Atzilus is considered souls, and Olamos ain't self. And the infinite worlds above, that's considered divine. That's the highest world. And who be the clawless, which is the the general, which which means like this. The Olamus ain't self, the infinite worlds. And then Olam Atzilus and the and the world of emanation, which is Atzilus, and the three lower worlds of creation is all considered the lowest world. And he explains over there, shall that on these three general sections of existence, it says, and for my honor, I created it, Yitzartiv, I formed it, Af Asisiv, I also made it. Okay, there's a verse that says, For my honor, I created it, I formed it, I've also made it. Now, again, the Rebbe now wants to emphasize that. Once we've established that most souls are part of the created realm, is important to understand that they exist in a state of separation from God. He's proving it now from a verse that says, for my honor, I created it, I formed it, I also made it. Now, we usually say that these, I created it, I formed it, and I made it, that's the source, that there are three rungs in creation. I created it as the world of creation, which is the world of souls. I formed it as the world of formation, which is the world of angels. I also made it is referring to the physical material world, the completion world, the, the, our world. Okay, now, and we do, but we emphasize, if you take a look in the words, you say, Barasiv, I created, Yitzartiv, and it doesn't say Asisiv, it says Af Asisiv, I also made it. So that word I also causes a causes an interruption. Like we spoke earlier, that there's evolution. The worlds evolve, but every evolution, where one thing evolves from the next, it means that every sub, subsequential level is is linked up with the previous level, and it's linked. And once you have a linkage going through then you have somewhat of an attachment of the lowest to the highest. There's no interruption because this is a cause and effect. This caused this, and this caused this, and this caused this. So in the end, you can point the dots together. We know that our physical world did not come through a such a process of evolution because if it would be completely a process of evolution, then we would be naturally conscious of God down here. 
the fact that there is a such a state of separation in the material world to the point that one can deny God, like so much is discussed in this discourse, it's because there is a, a certain point there is a there is an interruption in this in this evolution. What's that interruption? The interruption is between the world of Yetzira, which is the world of angels, and the world of Asiya, which is the world of the physical. There is the God says, I created it, I formed it. He stops, he thinks. In other words, it doesn't naturally move into the next stage. There is an interruption. And then it says, I also created that also, even though it comes to add, is also an interruption. In other words, it's a great barrier. The word af represents a spiritual barrier that disconnects the lower world from everything above. And that means, and that's why we know that when we we can when our souls were in heaven, they were so they were so conscious of God. And then you wonder, say, how did it happen that when I come into a body, I forget everything? The body is so clumsy. The body is so, so prone to sin, to, to ignoring God. The answer is once we once the souls pass through this barrier, it like wipes the memory drive clean. And we enter into a place of like total ignorance and separation where, it's, where it takes a lot of work to maintain a connection. And naturally, we keep on slipping into forget it, forgetfulness because of this barrier. Okay. So according to this interpretation that we're saying now, the main separation to be separated from God is physical. In the physical world is where the challenge is. And that's true. But what he's doing now is he wants to show that even when our soul is in heaven, before it came down, and even if we have a very lofty soul, from the world of Berea, which we said earlier, is a lo pretty lofty soul. It's not an Atsilus. Atsilus is, we're not talking about those souls. Those are very unique. But most souls, but even the loftiest of the lower souls in the world of Berea, even when it was there, it still exists in separate consciousness. Now, it's not exi existing in ignorance. It's not going to deny God, and it's not going to rebel against God, a soul that's not in a body, but it still feels separated. It still has an identity other than God. It has an I. Now, its I is I, I, what's its I? What's the content of I? I exist. God created me. I love him. I'm crazy about him. I'm do everything for him, but there's still a separateness. Now, and he wants to say that that's, there's a disconnect. What do you see? Where is that disconnect coming from? If the barrier is only lower, the barrier is only between the world of formation and the world of creation, how is it that souls that are up here above the barrier, why are they disconnected? The answer is there's another way of learning this verse. I created, I formed, and I also made. What's the other way of learning it? When we say I created it, when God says I created it, the word berativ, I created it, is not referring to the world of Berea, which is the first world of creation. That would mean that Berea is above the barrier, rather. It's referring to something much higher. Remember, we it's referring to this cosmic state. Which state? It's talking about the worlds that are before Atzilut, the world, the very, very infinite worlds that we discussed. They are already, to God himself, they're called already created. Then when it says, I formed it, that's referring to Atsilos, which is the world of emanation. 
There's such a high world. It's where God's body is. That's called formation. And then when it says, I also made it, the, the which is the last world, I also made it, is referring to the general creation, all three levels of creation. What we what is to us, the world of creation, the world of formation, is all included from this higher perspective. It's all included in the lowest world. And therefore, the barrier that separates between a state of divine consciousness where there's nothing but God to a state of separation does not only begin prior to the material physical existence, it even begins before the created existence of Bria. And over there as well, it's already there's already an interruption. And therefore, if you're a soul that's born into the world of Bria, forget about a body, just a pure soul, you're already after the barrier. Of course, that barrier is a more subtle barrier than the other, the barrier that we're talking about before this world. The before the physical world is a much thicker barrier, but still, it's still considered a barrier. And that's the proof that he's giving that even souls that are, notwithstanding the fact that the souls are the innermost of the worlds, the fact that they're part of the creation, Bria is already after the word af, and af means an interruption, and therefore they're part of the disconnected range. What does that mean? What does that mean? There is the concept of af, which is an interruption between the world of Yitzatzilos, which in this verse is hinted to in the word Yitzartiv because uh, Barasiv is referring to the Olamos Ein Sof, the infinite worlds above Atzilos. Atzilos is Yitzartiv. And then the Olam is Biyah, to the world's Biyah, Asisiv, I made it. Shalachain Olam is Biyah, and Nefrod, and that's why all three lower worlds are considered separated. Shemizemov and Gamke, and from there it's understood also, Shegam Neshamis, even souls, Biyah of the three lower worlds, Briya, Yatsir, and Asiyah, Mekivan Shegam Hem Nimtsam Laachari Inyan Da'af Hivsik. Since they too find themselves after the barrier of the word Af, they too are separated. This is the meaning that the Orin Sov comes down. Oh, so once we know that the three lower worlds are considered separated, and our souls are also therefore considered part of the lower part of the separate, but we shouldn't feel dejected and frustrated. Because what do we say about the Orin Sof? What do we say about the infinite, the one that blessed is he? That he has the ability to come down, down, and invest himself, and even reveal himself where? In that which is low, low, low. Which low, low, low means in into the three lower worlds. And in, in, uh, the Orin Sof dis- channel channels itself down all the way down to the lower three worlds which are separated and our soul therefore could behold the infinite light even while it is a soul of separate consciousness now he's going to take it however further okay it's one thing that it comes but it comes into the into the soul but remember we said yesterday the garments are not just the world of bria is one set of garments and God comes down even in the world of action, even in the even in the material physical. 
And here is where he's going to take it further. Not only does he go into the holy element of the material physical world, he channels his infinite light and re and even allows it to be revealed even where, even in the elements that are anti-godly in this world. That's how showing how unlimited it is in where he can reveal himself in things that are completely antithetical to that kind of revelation. And yet even there, his power of revelation and expression and communication is so deep and so far that there's no place where he cannot express himself. And then he continues in the Maimon, now we're holding chapter number six. And with the abundance of this descent from level to level, when you increase this descent more and more, until and when this infinite light of God himself will arrive, to the world of the Galgalim, Galgalim means the constellations, the, um, the zodiac, the, uh, uh, th that's, that's like the, the, the back, the back drive, the, the, we might say the motherboard of the physical material world. It's not yet the actual physical over here, but it's still the spiritual world. That's like just right. And it's, I would say metaphysical, it's somewhere between physical and spiritual. And when it comes down into that realm, the Hamazolis and the constellations over there, it thickens and becomes dense. And even though it's it's energy and it's in and it's and it's the orient salt, it's the infinite energy, it translates into a very not as a spiritual energy, it translates into physical forces and becomes forces of nature, forces of the world. The infinite light descends below, below, without an end. In the levels that are the most latter, as we discussed yesterday, the very latter levels, and they are most low. Even though, and yet it doesn't compromise on being infinite. Even when it comes down there, it's not like it by that time, it lost its potency and its infinity, and it has now kind of weakened so much. It's like it's it's like a storm when it goes and it comes onto land it weakens from when it was in the ocean because it goes farther away from the eye of the storm it weakens and weakens and weakens not here the ain't self the infinite remains in its potency yet it's translated because he's lowering lowering only doesn't mean that he's present lowering means he, when you say I, a person can lower himself down to a child doesn't only mean you can sit and stick your nose in front of the child it means you're able to talk child talk you're able to be yourself and, and and communicate with the child so god can communicate with this world on its terms and 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 his energy he lowers himself down to become an energy that is on on on, on our terms of, of of material nevertheless since it is draw, it is drawn and notwithstanding the fact that it's still infinite but since it's being drawn into the world which in the world of in, into this world, into the material world, Shasham Shaltim, where over there God gave dominion, Hasarim to the ministering angels. And these ministering angels, we're talking about the ministering angels of the of the 70 nations. So they already are not considered holiness. They're considered already outside of the range of holy. 
Vahamazolois and the constellations, which are the forces of nature and so forth. Misava or it causes the light to get thickened, umizgashem, and to become materialized. Vaad, and it can go so far, it can it can translate. It's nothing other than energy of the divine, of the infinite, but at the recipient's end, at the receiving end, God, the very force that's giving it everything could be completely ignored and even rejected. And even, um, as we were going to see over here, like he explains in the Maimon that every, every influence and every revelation in the world, everything that comes into our world, is through these constellations, through these um, through these uh, rotating forces. And as the sages tell us, there isn't a blade of grass below he's, he's, he's bringing out the idea that all material blessings when they come into this world and say uh, a vegetable that's growing, a tomato that's growing in your in your garden, a cucumber, uh, I don't know, a pepper, uh, whatever, a flower, a, 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 a blade of grass, of whatever, a rose, whatever it is, every single thing that is growing is obviously a a a, a force, a force of nature, and that force has a spiritual force above it doesn't start in this an hour it doesn't start in your garden it starts in a deeper dimension that deeper dimension is from the constellations and that const but we're obviously it didn't come from there it's the infinite light that through these constellations and and ultimately and what is and what does it do? why do you need this this these these this spiritual uh back backbone for it why do you need this 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 interface so why is it necessary regarding this there's two things over here this to create physicality so for the grass itself to be created for the physical tree to be created so for physical substance to to emerge from spiritual energy we understand that it needs to somehow transition it needs to transition into into the into physicality so to create the tree to create no so that's why it goes through these these uh these these uh blocking forces these screens and filtrations which the one above this world are these ministering angels and so on and so forth which allow energy to drop down to make a quantum leap from it being abstract and spiritual for it to become something material that's, however, to create the physical object. But once the physical object is already created, now we're talking about to have it grow, to have the flower blossom, to have the tree grow, which means now you know we're creating physicality. You're taking what is and just creating expansiveness. So in that we would we would argue and think maybe a very very pure, abstract spiritual energy is good enough for that. In other words, through a spiritual energy itself that remains in its spiritual state, it can influence the, it's, it's, it's delivering potency, it's delivering power, and then that can cause physical growth. 
Why are we saying that? No, he says every physical influence, even after something is already, every increase in, phys in physicality is through energy, which goes through the this system of diminishment or system of tr of uh, of um, the system, this filtration system. Why is it necessary? So he explains. So again. Bishlam and again, Lesavos Aesif to create the, the blade of grass. Moving, it's understood. Lama Tzrichim Lam Tzas Hamazel. Why you need the mediation of this Mazel? Should it's Tzarech Liv Aesif Gashmi? Because you need something physical. Behesem Lo Elam Azar Gashmi. You need some. You can't have flowers that are spiritual floating in the in the material world. For it to be and if, if to be part of this world, it has to go through whatever it is that exchanges spiritual energies into physical substance. But it's not understood. Why does the reason that after the grass exists already as a grass, why does the sages say that it cannot grow, that doesn't have a mazel? The mazel again is this semi spiritual force that's in between physical and spiritual, and it is the one that's commanding it to grow. Now we're not talking about the coming into being of the of the of the grass. Only on its de its act its development. The Alter Rebbe derives this that the mazolos that speak and tell things to grow is referring to the 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 the, the physical plants after they exist already. Because the sages say that every plant has a spiritual uh, appointee uh, uh, who tells it to grow, grow, tells that grass to grow. So the Alter Rebbe says it can't mean that it's creating the grass from non-being to yet being. Because then what does it mean? It's telling the grass. The, the verse the sages say it's telling its particular grass grow. Who is it talking to if it doesn't exist yet? You know, if we're talking about bringing out the grass ex nilo, it says the the angel of the grass tells it to grow. Who's he talking to? There's nothing there yet. So it must be we're talking about after already it, it was created into existence. And now there is 50 um, 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 st uh, st stalks of, of, I don't know whatever they call it, blade of 50 blades of grass. Or two thousand blades of grass over here in this small patch area over here. Each one of them has its own angel that's in charge over it and telling it grow, grow. Now you know who he's talking to. He's talking to something that's there already. He's telling him to grow. But now the question is, why do why can God's energy communicate directly? Why is it going through this this mediator who is a big blocker? Why? So he's going to explain that. Why does it have to go through the mazel? Like he explains in the Maimer. That because the Ein Sof descends, God's descend so much that his very, very, his power and his energy, that is the infinite power and the infinite energy of God, he himself allows himself to thicken into a physical force. So what really is science? What is the forces of nature? Nothing more than the, the infinite power. It's just, it's God's lowering himself down, lowering himself down. And, and obviously in this process of lowering, he can, he's, he's becoming 
more and more camouflaged as as and could be misinterpreted as certain systems as if these systems have any value other than the that then the singular being that's in, in them manifesting in all these various systems but because he does lower himself down into it and thickens it into it that's where all the mistakes can happen all the idolatry can come along all the atheism and all the agnosticism whatever whatever you want to say all that comes about because of this concealment until every influence in the world even the expansion of the infinite one why they are mazalais is through these mazalais through these um constellations this is so awesomely of a descent he's a descending he's not only descending into beings that are separate but beings that are ignorant of him and yet all that it is is him and this is the awesome wonder of the infinite one that we say he can come low 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 without an end low without an end low now behold now even though this too is a great descent we still did not hit hit rock bottom why because we're talking about a material world that is just unaware of god talking about forces of nature but nothing that is outright fighting against god rejecting god well it doesn't stop there hashem lowers himself down his infinite endless light even into even into subjects and entities that will deny him and fight him it's not the lowest type of descent this is still within the realm of holy or at least if it's not holy or at least that which has a relationship to holiness which means we could make it holy if we choose to we could connect it to god material physical things could be connected could be made holy we take up uh a trader joe's a bottle of water which on its own is mundane and nothing to do with godliness we use it to hydrate uh, while we're giving a class revealing speaking godliness or saying a blessing so here this is now included in 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 godly revelation this is turned into the home of hashem we can do that right so it's not yet ah but then person could be engaging in a crime uh in something that is outright and also drink uh hydrate at the at the time that he's doing it so now energies of god are going already into the other side and the idea that the orange so flows down 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 without an end it will actually descend even into a low that's even lower than this and this is what he continues in the discourse the previous reb is going low 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 in the discourse what is he saying specifically specifically as 
within the world itself. It goes through the so many levels of contraction and many, many concealments and obscurities. Until it masquerades so much, camouflages so much, until it can be something that is in opposition to God completely. What does that mean? To forget about the omnipotent godly force completely. Now that's even possible. It's an amazing thing. To forget about God completely is even possible by holy people, which means by people that generally are supposed to be aware of God, we can have moments of forgetfulness. And Mokoshkin, and, and, and then even lower, as it goes into the real dark places, where as it is in the Klippen and the other side, which are the dark side, which are where there are entities, Lamar, that say, he's borrowing the term that the, 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 and this is for the general state of the world, but he's using a force of evil that is discussed in the Torah. Who was that? That was Pharaoh. And these, these Maimarim were said in the weeks of, of, uh, of uh, the, when we read the, the Torah portion of going out of Egypt, this week's parasha, Paro, Paro. And what does Paro say? Paro is the richest country in the world. The most influential, ancient Egypt was the most influential, the most, it was the greatest recipient of divine blessings. It had incredible wealth, incredible power, almost super, 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 supernatural powers. They were so rich and so. As we'll see, he's going to explain why. And what is Pharaoh? And all their blessing came from the Nile River because it was brought them all their irrigation and the, all the money to Pharaoh was because they had a super economy because they had such an amazing agricultural system coming from the Nile River. And yet Pharaoh turns around and he says, Oiri, the river is mine. Vani Asisani, and I created myself. There you go. God decides to deposit his most of his influence and most of his blessings to, to, to one particular country to shower them with abundant blessings. And what does the king of that country say? The river is mine and I created myself. That's, oh. This is the complete opposite of truth. The MS, the truth is... Now, Egypt was on a pretty high stature all the time because they, they're, they're sitting on the Nile, we're soon going to see the Nile River was blessed with abundant blessing. It's one of the rivers that go out of Aden, so it has an enorm, enormous blessing. He's going to explain in a few moments, it's the first river that goes out of Aden. It says four rivers, it's the first, and if it's the first, it's the primary river. So it has enormous blessing to it and power. That's to begin with. But the question is, how much is the Nile actually releasing its goods to Egypt? It can have its goods, but how, how accessible is all that blessing that's in it? So Egypt became extra, extra powerful and wealthy. When Jacob, Yaakov, the leader of Israel, the leader of holiness, the king of holiness, comes down to Egypt and he, Joseph brings him to Pharaoh, Paro, and Yaakov blesses Paro. When Yaakov blessed Paro, the sages say, what did he bless him? 
that every time he comes towards the Nile, the Nile should rise towards him. Suddenly when Pharaoh would walk out there, the waters of the Niles would come rushing and the whole Nile would suddenly fill up and it would rise up towards Pharaoh and the irrigation would just go out into all. And Pharaoh literally claimed himself as a divine being, as a God, because the Nile, which is the blessing of all of you, which fed the entire economy, was, and, and, and when did it start? The day that Yaakov blessed him. So he knows, he saw with his own eyes that where is the blessing coming from? From a man who's serving God. God's servant, the one who's teaching monotheism, opposite of, 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 of the pagan culture of Egypt. The one righteous tzaddik comes down to him, gives him a blessing from that day on. So he knows clearly it's God directing the blessing. And what does he do? The moment Yaakov goes out of the door, he turns around and claims this is my power. So this is the nature of the clipper. As he says, the MS of the truth is the Vavarach Yaakov is Paro, that Yaakov is the one who blessed Pharaoh. The Isa Bitanchum, and it says in Midrash Tanchum, Rashi Rashi brings it. What did he bless him? That the Nile River should rise towards him. This is the flow of the supernal blessings that are drawn to Pharaoh, were drawn to Egypt. In a Paro, Melech HaMetzrayim, Ogvulim. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. So now the Rebbe, the Rebbe plays on this idea that Paro is the, is the king of Egypt. And the Rebbe wants to take it out of an individual person who lived, you know, 4,000 years ago in, in a country of Egypt. The Rebbe wants to make it applicable to all of us. So he says, Paro is a concept. He's not just an individual. He's a concept. He's the king of Egypt. What does Egypt mean in the broader sense? He's the king of constriction and limitation. He's the boss of the constricted world that is feels itself separated from God. He dominates. He is the controller of this constricted realm. So when you're living in a world of constriction, which is the net, the, the, the world, the, the and a, so the more you go into the constriction, the more dominance Pharaoh has over you, and the more he can sell you, the more he can sell to you the lie that 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 he that that the blessings have nothing to do with the superpower, but the blessings are 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 are, are his. It's his power. So that's what he says. Paro, who is the king of who? He's the king of Egypt in the broader sense of Egypt, meaning he's the king of the constricted realm, Ugavulim and the realm of limitation. Which is what our world is—a world of limitation, where you can, where we can, where the, where all these systems and constrictions block the the the, the truth that there's really one singular energy that's created because God is camouflaged over here. He ne oid. He's so lowly. What does he do? Who oid kafu teiva? He's so ingrateful. A blessing. God blesses him with with all this power. Instead of saying thank you, God, what can I do for you? How can I facilitate? How can I use my wealth to further your interests and your desire in this world? Instead, what does he do? The Oymer turns around and he says, "Leo Iri, this is my power. It's my river, Vania Sisani, and I created myself." Atka, the Indian who and what's the idea? Shebezem evar beis darges ba'mata. In this part. He's explaining within the low, he's explaining two levels within the low of the low. Again, we reached a whole new level of low. Low 
that is the opposite of God, not just separated a little bit, whatever, but total contradictory to God. In there itself, there's two levels. One of them, you basically forget about God. You're just oblivious. You just don't pay attention. Person just doesn't consider where my blessings are coming from. I live life, and I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't think I'm living. I'm alive. I breathe. I eat. I have food. I have health. I have children. I have relationships. I have a lot of good things going for me. I thank God. There's so many, but there's no thank God. I don't think. It's here. I'm just part of part of nature. That's bad. But then there's worse, as he says. And he thinks, and a person can think, to me is my river. Now, to me, my river doesn't only mean the Nile River. To me, the, the river can be your business. You have a good business, which thank God is doing well. Why do you think your business is good? Because God is directing his light and his into them, whatever the business is, whatever the job is, whatever the business is, whatever it is, it's God's blessing coming to you. But the person turns thinks, it's my business. What are you talking about? I worked hard. I built it. I'm so smart. I'm so shrewd. I'm so good. I invested in the right time. I knew exactly how, what, where I went. Oh, and, and even though you have a thousand other people who did exact same things that you did and weren't successful, it's because God gave you the blessing. That's why it was successful, right? So the, the but the person forgets. He says, to me is my river. And I need, I see sunny. I created myself. I'm a self-made man. I did it, whatever. That's that's the opposite of truth. The MSU, the truth is for God is enlivening everything. Every breath I take, I'm supposed to thank God. I'm breathing not because my I have a good set of lungs, because God is giving me and enabling me to breathe right now. He's sending me life. And the truth is that even the other side, the dark side, even everything that is Unholy in the world, the, the, the shells and the other side, God is, they're plugged into God in the sense that God is extending his vitality and energy and life to them because only living being is God and he's the only one who gives life. But because the way, the manner in which this energy is delivered to them, because the energy gets thickened, and becomes enclosed in the constellations that we discussed earlier and in all these systems which kind of create a, a, a false a false sense of independence um, one second God is enlivening them through these things but this itself he says is low but it's not the lowest even though it's the opposite of truth, the hepech melakus, it's the opposite of the divine, of, 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 of godliness. It's possible that it's just coming out of ignorance. It's just because you never had a teacher, you never had anybody to open your eyes, so you just don't know. You just never, it never occurred to you to ask questions. Where is my health coming from? Where is my prosperity coming from? Where are my successes coming from? So it's possible for a person just to be in a state where he really, he or she really doesn't know. But lower than that is to be like Pharaoh. Pharaoh does know. Because he saw, he saw what happened. He saw how 
for years, the, the Nile River did not, business was not booming until Yaakov came. Yaakov walks into his room and blesses him. And from that day and on, business is blooming, but the moment booming, but the moment the moment Yaakov walks out of the door, he denies it. That's that's called ungrateful. And that's called you know your master and you deliberately choose to ignore him. That is already a whole new level of chutzpah. And the fact that God could continue giving life even to someone who to, who's receiving from him and knows he's receiving of him and deliberately chooses to ignore him, that's a whole new level of love. And that's where he says is the rock bottom. That's the lowest that God is. When we say God can come down and re, and translate himself and with his infinite light into a low place, this is what we're talking about. Because what's lower than that? is even lower. He's so ingrateful. Like someone who knows his master and intends to rebel against him. Like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He should have known better. His blessing came, his, his great um, affluence came from the blessing of Yaakov. Nevertheless, Omar, he said, the river is mine. I created myself. Not only is the opposite, it's a lie. It's just so untruthful. It's the opposite of the truth. In addition to that, he's ungrateful for what has been given when the, the favors were given to him. And he knows where it's coming from. And he's and he's and he's uh, um, a, a a a completely a um, what do you call it or whatever it's called. Not important. The Yuvan in the the coffee the Now, in order to understand how ungrateful Pharaoh was and is, and God forbid we should never be that, he's going to explain it even deeper than that. Remember, we said now the Rebbe is downloading from all the from all of his predecessors. Now he moves to the second to the to the fourth Rebbe that he's going to download from. Which is the Mittler Rebbe? He's the, he's the second Chabad, the, the second Rebbe of the Chabad list, on the Chabad thing, and the fourth general Rebbe of Hasidus. Okay, in his Sefer B'Toyres Chaim, Reb Dov Ber Shneuri, the son of the, the son of the Alter Rebbe, in the Sefer Toyres Chaim, the Ramasloi Mikates, in in the Maim Ravahim Mikates Shnasayim Yamam Aparei Cholam, and on the on the on the discourse, on the words, it was at the end of two years, and Paro was dreaming the whole story with the dreams of Pharaoh with the seven cows and so forth. Over there, it says, or the verse says that Paro was standing on the river. So, over there, he explains in that discourse, Indian Danilus, he explains the concept of the Nile. What is the Nile? So, now the Rebbe says in parentheses, now, even though this, what he's going to say now, is the Rebbe, the Rebbe himself is adding on to the previous Rebbe's discourse because he is drawing, he's, 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 he's building, he's bringing in a teaching from the Mittler Rebbe that is not stated in his father-in-law's discourse. As I mentioned earlier, the earlier Rebbe's didn't do this. They didn't bring in their discourses intentionally from everybody else. The Rebbe, this is his style. He draws from everybody. So, but the Rebbe says, it's actually hinted to in my father-in-law's discourse as well. When he says, 
Remember we said he, the, 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 the Friediger Rebbe brings the concept that Yaakov comes to Paro and he blesses him. And he says, and what did he bless him? He blessed him that the Nile should come up towards him. The Lachura ain't a moving at first glance. It's not understood. Why is it important? Why did the previous Rebbe in his discourse have to elaborate what the blessing was? He should have just said that Yaakov blessed Paro. The only the main thing is he wants to bring out that Paro was ungrateful. So why is that important to know that it was denial? The main thing is from the day Yaakov blessed Paro, Paro became enormously wealthy. Business like picked up a thousandfold. And the economy of Egypt soared super high. So fine. Why does he have to tell you that it had to do with the Nile River? It's because he's hinting to this idea. That's what he's saying. My, my father was hinting to what I'm going to explain over here in the name of the free, of, of, of the Mittler Rebbe, of the second Chabad Rebbe. All that would have been necessary is to say that Paro was blessed by Yaakov. And from his blessing came all the good. There's something particularly about the Nile River. I mentioned it earlier that there's something special about the Nile. It's not just like you know, if if Paro would have been on the uh, on the uh, on some other river, I don't know. Let's pick a, 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 the Amazon River, or he would be on um, the uh, Mississippi River. Uh, it wouldn't be the same, even if it's a great river. It wouldn't be the same. Why? The Mash and this that it says that he was standing over the river when Arnilus is talking about. The the, the 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 Nile River. What is so special about the river? We go back to the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of Bereshit. It says our river flows forth from Aden, and that river is flowing and it goes to water the garden. So simply, there's a place called Aden, and that place is a magical place, Aden. From Aden, it's the source of all delight and all pleasure. From there comes forth a river. And that river flows, winds its way down one river, and it winds its way to a garden. And that garden produces the most magnificent garden. There is where God brings Adam and Eve into the garden, and you have all the special fruits. There's the story, he gets the encounter with the snake and the whole mess up. But the verse continues that the one river, once it goes, it reaches, it exits, it goes, it runs through the entire garden. Now, let's say the garden is, you know, 100 miles. It goes through these hundred miles, and by the time it gets to the uh, fifty miles, let's say by the end of the by the entry by the exit, it exits, and then suddenly it takes it forks into four rivers. Now the four rivers that are fork, the first one is the Nile. That's the story. So we know he's going to explain, however, that the Aden and the Garden, although it did exist, it had its manifestation in this world. It really is alluding to something very, very high. It's referring, this whole river flow is referring to the spiritual dynamics of the deepest flow of how godly light flows into the cosmos. Aden is the first attribute of Chachma, Chachma of Atzilot, the highest, the first recipient of infinite light in this very supernal world of Chachma, of, of Atzilot that we discussed earlier. Aden is, touches, touches the pure Ein Self. From there runs a river and the river goes into the garden so the river is referring to Bina, as discussed in many places, the, the, the flow of divine understanding that goes into the garden. The garden is the Malchut, the kingship of the divine. 
And from the garden starts the four rivers represent four flows that flow into the universe. Once we understand that we're talking about the divine flow, not just a physical river, but a divine flow. Now we're going to look, the, the verse says, when the verse discusses the four rivers, it says, Shem Ha'echad, the name of the first one. By calling it Echad, should have said Shem Ha'rishon, the name of the first. What does it say, Shem Ha'echad, the, the, the name of the one? It's not the, it's not the one. Once you have two, three, and four, it should have said Shema Rishon, the first name of the first. It calls it the one, is because from all the four rivers, the first one still resembles the river when the river was still one. You understand that the river, when the river is still one, it is far, it is on a far higher level of goodies, of goodness, because it's the the purest river while it's still coming out of Aden. Aden is the place of the deepest divine pleasure. And this river is carrying that pleasure. So the river, <coughs> while it's one, is still on such a high level. Once it goes through the garden and then it forks into four, it kind of lessens dramatically its, 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 its potency and its pleasure. It becomes reduced enormously. So he's saying, in the first river is the least reduction. It's the most similar to the initial river. That's why the Nile River had such incomparable blessing to anywhere else, to all the other rivers. As he explains of Yeshua, it's the first river of the four river that goes out of the river that it came out, that emerges from Aden and it is what it says over the Amisham, you parade and from there it forks off. It became four heads. And it says, the name of the one, Pishain. Now, Pishain is the word the Torah used, but it, Rashi says that's the Nile River. This river is still unified with the river that goes out of Eden. What does that mean? The even though and even though all four rivers are all drawn from that one river, because it says from there they it forks into four, and they're all and all four of them are separated. Yuparet means it's already separated, which means it's already disconnected to a certain degree. There's another idea of it. Not just it's the most blessed, but it's still the most unified. This river is the most connected to its original form when the river was still very much cognizant that it's a flow of the van. When the energy of the river is still very, very visibly one with God. See, once the river forks into four, it says from there they separate. It separated means it's less discernible than it's divine. You, you see a flow of blessing. You don't necessarily can detect where the black, who is the source of it. It's already camouflaged as we discussed there. It's already hidden. But on the first river is the most visible. And that is showing you how, how blessed Pharaoh was, that Pharaoh has the Nile River, and therefore Pharaoh could have been the most, the most um, should have been, based on the, the river that river that's flowing by him should have been. First of all, he has the he has the the juiciest of all rivers, the richest of all rivers flowing into him. Secondly, he has the river. That, that is still, by its very nature, still reflecting its origins, that it comes from God. 
And therefore, it's harder to deny that it's not godly. That, it, that it's harder to disconnect. Yet it's showing that Pharaoh was so wicked that even though he was receiving from a faucet, from a from a from a source that was screaming, that is announcing it from where it comes from, he decided to stuff his ears and his consciousness to ignore even the loud river that is claiming its divine origins. This indicates a lot of sadly a lot of times that we are privy, we are merit to have moments of miracles in our lives. Moments where God removes the veils. He's giving us blessings that are so clearly coming from God. And we have to be so careful not to, God forbid, turn around because the nature of our egos can be so ruthless that it could even receive miraculous energies and miraculous blessings and still um, 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 choose to, to disconnect because God gives us free trust. So God can be serving us good miracles on a silver platter and we can take the goodies on that platter and forget who gave it to us. That's the scary part. By the first river, Mayor even though they're all separated, but in the first river, the, 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 the supernal pleasure is shining. That comes out from Eden. This is understood. The blessing that Yaakov gave. That the Nile River should come up towards him. Yaakov gave him the biggest blessing, the most potent river, the river that has the most blessing. The most light, the most, the richest of all rivers. Tachlis Abracha. This is the epitome of all blessing. Because the, the Nile River is bond and unified with the river that goes out of Aden. Which is the supernal pleasure. It's still rooted into such a high level of pleasure. And yet, Paro does it. Um, rejects it. Now the Rebbe is taking it even deeper. If this is not deep enough, let's go deeper, the Rebbe said. Yaakov's blessing was Nimshach Lepare. When Yaakov was blessed, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh was blessed through Jacob's Yaakov's blessing, Pharaoh received not only that he was getting now a the juiciest of blessings, the, 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 the abundance in the material blessings. The blessing of Yaakov was also a spiritual blessing to, to Esau. In other words, Yaakov, I'm sorry, not to Esau, to a Pharaoh. Yaakov was empowering Pharaoh to make the right choices as well in his blessing. I was going to add another teaching that the blessing of Yaakov was not only. Paparo to receive the 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 material, but also that that he should that he should that he should be able to fulfill his purpose in this world, as we'll see in a moment. The Indian who the idea is now the he, the Rebbe goes and downloads from the fifth Chabad Rebbe. Remember, going back again from each Rebbe he downloads. So now he's downloading from the fifth Rebbe, which is the Tzemach Tzedek. It's amazing how the Rebbe is able to like create a concept, explain a concept, and downloads from everybody ideas that facilitate and work all in harmony to bring forth 
the general idea which, which he wants to generate in the general mimer. It's simply genius as opposed to its uh, its godliness. Like the Tzemach Tzedek explains, in the book Oira Torah, on the verse, that it says they came to Goyren Otot, to the threshing, the, 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 the threshing field of the thorn, surrounded by thorns. Now, I do want to say, we once learned a fascinating discourse of the explanation of the Zohar on this, on this verse. What does it mean that they came to the threshing place of the thorns? What does this mean and why this was the, this is referring to Jacob's funeral. When Yaakov was buried, after Yaakov passed away, they carried him back to the land of Canaan to bury him in Ma'ara Samach in Hebron. When they brought him on the way, it says they stopped somewhere and over there they had a huge eulogy and everybody was crying. And the area therefore was called Avel Mitzrayim. They, the place was named after the huge mourning that went on. It was called the mourning of Egypt, the crying of Egypt. So the Tzemach Tzedek asks a simple question. Why are they calling it the mourning of Egypt? Why wasn't it called the mourning of Israel? Because who really mourned in a very deep way? The Jewish people took a loss. Their father, their grandfather, the last of the patriarchs passed away. Especially since we know that after this, it became very dark for them. So they're really crying. Why is it called the mourning of Egypt? So he's going to explain that when Yaakov passed away, it actually caused Egypt to lose out tremendously. Even though, it's amazing, when Yaakov passed away, Egypt gained power over Israel. As long as Yaakov was alive, Egypt had no power over Egypt, of the Jewish people. And then after Yaakov passed away, the Egyptians were able to sub, to subdue to a certain degree the, the Jewish people and eventually completely enslave them. So you would think it was a benefit. Now the Jewish protector died and they can get all the slave work and all the talent because the, the Egyptians became rich from the fact that the Jews were working for them. So we would think it was a benefit that Yaakov died. He says, no, no, no. The Egyptians realized it was a terrible day for them. Why? Because in addition to the fact that Yaakov was the one who brought them there, gave them a blessing for enormous material wealth, Yaakov also, um, his presence and his light made that Egypt should have the ability to to join forces with the Jewish people and realize the purpose of creation in a way where they take part of it and, and they are partners and part of the support system for Israel. In the end, they forfeited that. The great godly light came from Egypt but the Egyptians did not remain participants. Quite on the contrary, they were destroyed completely. Let me explain. When the Jewish people went down to Egypt, there was, a, there was work over there. Why did we go to Egypt? Because the deepest, highest divine sparks of holiness, godly sparks, were buried in Egypt. So we needed to go there to release those sparks and, and elevate them. 
but an elevation of the spark can happen in two ways. One is that you can extract the part, the spark, and take it out from the country or the place where it's in. And then the, once you leave, the country remains impoverished, lifeless, and a country that could have one day been the strongest, most powerful, becomes diminished to becoming literally insignificant. That's one way in which sparks can be elevated. That's the way it was in Egypt. The, the, the Jewish people extracted all the sparks, left with all the sparks, including the gold and wealth of Egypt. And we took it to Sinai and then we built the temple with that gold. And what happened to Egypt? Egypt was a nobody till a very long time. It took them a while. They rebuilt again, but they were never rebuilt to their original glory. The same story has happened in Spain. The Jews were the most prominent in Spain. And then the Spanish decided to make an inquisition to persecute the Jews. The Jews left, left Spain and all the creativity and all their goodness that they gave and what happened to Spain. And then Spain, oh, you know, it started, it began its demise. And then Spain stopped being a world player, stopped being a superpower, stopped being the, it lost it all. The Jews, in a sense, when they left, extracted the sparks of holiness. But that doesn't always mean it doesn't have to be that way. When Jews are sent into a country to elevate the sparks of holiness, the country can, can become partners and participants and say, hey, you know, we know you are a divine, a godly people. We know you have a godly mission. Please help us actualize the godliness. That, what does it mean to elevate a spark? It means to bring the spark to the surface, to come and reveal in the material, in the blessings of any given country and space, how it is really, it too, all these blessings are really God's, God's blessings. And if the, if the nation has the merit and they rise to the occasion and welcome the Jewish contribution and say, hey, this is awesome, teach us, let's be part, let us help you realize your mission. And we, you see it in America. There's two parts to America. There's a part of America that wants to deny, fight the holy, the godly, and want to do everything in the world opposite of morality and godliness. They want to take down the family. They want to take down the morality. They want to erase that God created the world with male and female and everybody has their mission. You see this energy in this world totally wants to destroy any bit of holiness. They literally want to erase God from every courtroom, from every school, obliterate anything holy. So much so that a very high member in the, in the current government read the 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 part of the uh what was it not the declaration of independence part of the constitution and left out the word god and left out the word life the rights to what do they say the rights to liberty and but left out the word life and left out the the, the word god that's that that that's what it wants if god forbid it is in power then the sparks of holiness in the united states will be extracted and elevated but america will not be part of it it will fall and there's another part of the country that very much appreciates and recognizes and wants to be part of it and they want to be part of a support system. I always knew that the redemption will come. The final redemption is the final rectification through the United States. But the question to me was, 
Is it going to happen in a way where the United States will merit to be a partner and an assistance to it? Or God forbid, it will be in a way where the extraction happens and it falls. I don't mean every individual. I mean the, the country as a, will the temple be built with the support of the United States? The third temple? With, with, with the, with, with, will there be a big, big plaque that the United States government was involved in helping facilitate the building of the third temple? Sadly, I know, I, I know this is not popular to say, especially in today's days. Sadly, President Trump was the only one that I saw who was, who, 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 who could have and was on the way of doing something like that in his full support for Israel and his full support? Or will it be that the United States, like they're sending now their, 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 uh, um, what's it called again, their police, <laughs> Blinken and Schminken or whatever his name is over there, who's going there to assure that the Temple Mount remains, remains not in Jewish hands, God forbid, remains in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the power of the, what do they call it, the waqf. They keep status quo, as they call it. Which means, is the United States a preventer of the redemption or is the United States a facilitator of the redemption? God bless the United States. What are they doing with this power and this, to be the, to be the world, the, the, the most powerful people in the world? The choice, however, is in the country. How will they vote? How will they choose? Are they in support? of God's, of what Hashem wants in this world or not? In other words, are the sparks of holiness being revealed within and therefore the, the entire country becomes part and a support to the, to, the, to the ultimate revelation of God's kingdom and God's kingship in the world? Or will the sparks of holiness just be extracted and the, that which was once powerful and strong but did not want to participate, and the, quite on the contrary, tried to use its power to influence the opposite, then they don't attach themselves to this purification, to this, they remain separated, and then once the divine mission is, is, is realized, the energy goes out, and it falls to become a literally a non-player and a non-entity non, non, uh, non for all of eternity. It's a deep question. I believe that most of the country is in the state of rectification. Although that's not necessarily the power in Washington right now. Sad. And you can see, this is the fight for the, for the soul of this country that's going on. Anyways, I don't want to talk too much on that subject, but this is what he's saying over here in the discourse. So take a look over here. When Yaakov Bench blessed Pharaoh, part of that blessing was that Pharaoh, we're going to do an internal rectification over here. We're going to do some construction work in Egypt to bring forth the divine. Please allow this construction to happen, not this rectification to happen. Not only that, come and be an assistance in it. Yaakov's blessing was that Pharaoh should merit that he should be a partner and a supporter of the system. Um, Yaakov passed away, however, that blessing kind of was, at least on the spiritual end, was diminished or 
And Pharaoh instead took advantage of the Jewish people being in, in his country and decided that he will fight them and subdue them. And it didn't help him because they ended up emptying out his entire treasure trove of energy, all the sparks of holiness, but instead of sharing it with him, they ran away with it. And he collapsed and fell, but it was his own choice. The blessing of, so therefore, the, the, what the Ritzemach Tzedek is saying, the blessing that, that Yaakov gave to Paro wasn't only enormous wealth, it was also enormous, he, the blessing was to help Paro deal with the current, with the, with the choice that he was going to have and that he should be able to make the right choice. And that's why when Yaakov passed away, Egypt was crying, was in the morning, because they knew that they've just lost a chance an enormous chance to be, we could have stood at Sinai, millions of Jews receiving the Torah and the Egyptians could have been in the background as the support team. And they were not. Instead, they were drowned in the sea and, and there was nothing left of them. It was scary because I'm telling you, a few years ago when the elections were taking place and I saw the two forces, I can see it clearly with my eyes so clearly i kept on saying to people i said this is the question over here the final question regarding the united states of america is america going to choose its way is the redemption going to come along with america is it, is it going to come despite america what's going to be its its participation is america going to go down the road like europe has gone which has not been supportive of jewish people and Jew and, and jewishness quite on the contrary has throughout all of history enslaved, persecuted, and fought everything holy and godly? Or will the United States, because of its God-given blessings, that the, 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 uh, the, uh, the what do they call them, the, uh, the founding fathers were gifted with this incredible divine gift and built a country on, the, on, the, on a belief on God and were very righteous people in that sense? They weren't perfect, no. Will that carry through for the United States to maintain that? Or will the corruption of Europe affect the United States that God forbid it should fall? And uh, let's hope, I don't know yet. I think, I think, I don't think the choice has been, I don't think it has already been decided. It seems like it's, it's wobbling like this and like that. When the Supreme Court came out and voted for life last year, that was an enormous step in the good direction, in the right direction. And and uh, but you know you can see the fight for the soul of the country is is very intense. This is what he's talking about in the discourse. They came to the threshing field of the of the uh, what's it called again the the thorns, and they said and then they said when Yaakov passed away, and this is a great um, um, mourning for Egypt. We do Yaakush. It is not the question. The Zohar really asks this question. The evil Yisrael Mebayale should have said it's the morning of Israel. My Tama, what does it say? Limitzrayim to Egypt, to Mavara, Tzemach Tzedek, and the Tzemach Tzedek explains. The Efshalayma, we can say, the Vayvarech Yaakov is Paroi. What was the blessing that Jacob, that Yaakov gave Pharaoh? She is Barach Beis Mitzri, that the house of the Mitzri should be blessed, Beglal Yisrael, that the house of the of the Egypt should be blessed because of the Jewish people being amongst them. And here's the most point. They should not treat the Jewish people like foreigners and then enslave them. 
And the Zohar says over there, the Bismana de Yaakov Kayam, the Zohar says explicitly, that as long as Jacob was alive, Kayam Alma, as long as Yaakov was alive in the world, Loy is Alma the Shalta Albanov, there was nobody that can that can um, um, dominate over their children, that can rule over their children. And then what would have been in the end, the outcome would have been, it would have been good for Egypt, the Taivli Yisrael would have been good for the Jewish people. The Yalu Anitzutim, the sparks would have been elevated, but not in a way where the, the elevation would have been an extraction, it would have been a purification. Egypt would become a a a a a a, uh, a godly conscious people and monotheistic place that receives the teachings of Israel and are elevated. And Egypt would have also had an elevation. They would have become attached to the Jewish people by being a support system. Which means that through the blessing of Yaakov, it was drawn to Egypt. Not only affluence and abundance in the material sense, but rather a spiritual gain. Like similar to the idea of being being attached. Because everybody is supposed to say, for me the world was created. In other words, there is a concept that we say that every every man and, and woman, every soul should say that the world was created for me. What does that mean? That I'm here, I have a responsibility to reveal God in this world and everything in this world, everything else that's here is here to support me and my work, not to support me, God forbid, for me to, 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 you know, to take advantage of anybody or anything, but to provide the resources. So a, Jew, a Jewish person, a man or woman, is supposed to have a very strong sense of dignity and a sense of importance and realize, yeah, it's okay for me to call on the rest of the world, assist. I'm giving you an opportunity. I, I've been given an amazing job to do, to elevate the world and connect it to God. Certain things only Jewish people can do. And But you know what? You're welcome to be participant. Help out. And then you're part of it. Be supportive of it. So, and therefore, through this idea, that the rest of the world becomes attached. The, the person becomes attached to the rest of the world. The Ramam, remember, we discussed this in another week. The Ramam says it's possible that, that uh, the Ramam says the world was created for the, for the righteous individual. And therefore, he says that sometimes a person goes and he builds, there's a king, and he builds an entire palace, an entire area, and then many years later, it's destroyed. It's, it lives, this, this, this is an ancient, uh, an ancient, an ancient king and palace, and it gets, eventually, it erodes, and it becomes a ruins, a ruin, uh, on, on ancient ruins. And, and, and someone, a, a righteous individual passes by, and he needs, he needs a quiet place to pray. He finds it's raining or whatever. He finds a little shelter over there, and he prays over there. So Maimonides writes, for that reason, God, create, God brought about hundreds of years earlier that this guy should build the palace and have his whole thing, just like eventually someone will come there. So that itself means that it became a support. It was part of and attached to the, the righteous person's connection doing something godly and 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 so it means it too becomes elevated 
So that brings about an advantage and an elevation. Gamba Oilam also in the world, Adam that becomes attached with this with this person. And the same would have been with Pharaoh. It's not only this that through the blessing of the Yaakov. He would not be able to conceal unholiness. While Yaakov's blessing was there, he wouldn't be able to harm the Jewish people. We said as long as Yaakov is alive, he wouldn't, he wasn't able to enslave them. No more than that. Um, he wasn't able also to conceal and obscure, meaning on the on the contrary, through the blessing of, of Yaakov to Esau, Yaakov empowers the elevation of the sparks, and it should bring about that it should increase the wealth, the sparks being ex- extracted and revealed. What is it doing? It's helping. Mitzrayim, Egypt become prosperity, far more, adding far more prosperity. It becomes blessed with an abundant blessing. More than that, it would actually give Paro also, Pharaoh also a spiritual um, um, advantage. And a spiritual elevation. Because they are part and now supporting this great ex, ex, excavation and extraction and 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 they would always be rewarded for it and always be recognized for it. But when Yaakov passed away, Yaakov, that to a certain degree his blessing was diminished, and Egypt now started to enslave Israel in through this. So sadly, what happened was they lost their spiritual advantage because they lost sight and, and they, they, they turned into, they suddenly became anti-Semitic. The very country that initially was friends with the Jewish people and they saw Joseph um, as an enormous benefit, how Joseph saved the country. He was the savior of Egypt. And they originally felt tremendous uh, um, um, gratitude towards Joseph and to his family. What happened afterwards, and in, but they turned to anti-Semitism, and they they became ruthless towards the Jewish people, and and so so they lost their spiritual quality of being able to be support. In the end, they lost all their wealth and they lost all their power, and they ended up crashing and having nothing. They lost also the physical blessing. And so much so that in the end, they got beaten with 10 plagues. They got completely devastated and destroyed. They got the 10 plagues. They came, and that's why Egypt was subconsciously at that moment. They felt it and they were crying. It's almost like they knew that they're now beginning to fall down a slippery slope and they're never going to be able to get up from it. A great, a great morning for Egypt. When Yaakov passed away, it was a sadness to Egypt. Not just, it wasn't just mourning. It was a very heavy mourning. They were mourning very heavily because they felt that their, their, their entire future was now suddenly slipping away from them.
So now we'll understand even better. Based on this, we'll understand even more what we're saying regarding Pharaoh. The MSU, the truth is, the Vavarech Yaakov is Paro. Yaakov is giving Paro so much opportunity. He's giving him so much blessing. He's giving him the world. He's giving him the wealth. And he's also giving him the opportunity to be an active participant in the ultimate realization of the world's uh, of, 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 of mankind and of the, what the world was created for, to establish this world as a home for God, which is going to come through the Torah and through the Jewish people. He could have been, he could have acknowledged that, recognized that, and joined forces. But instead, he was ungrateful, turned around, took all that power for himself, and then turned on the Jewish people, him and his people, became, enslaved them, and in the end, what did he gain? Nothing. He lost everything. When Yaakov blessed him that the Nile should rise towards him, and this that he's bringing, like we said from the Mittler Rebbe, he's bringing to him the supernal good. That was drawn in a paroi. So Pharaoh, what is his response to that? He's so ingrateful. And he says, first of all, he denies that the blessing comes from God. He says, the river is mine. I created myself. Now we understand how, her, how terrible that is. Because when Yaakov is blessing him, Yaakov is giving him actually an opportunity to join into holiness as well. He's giving him like he's opening up the door to him for the ultimate, for him, for his ultimate goodness. For eternal goodness. The Nilus Yala because when he's blessing him that the Nile should rise towards him, drawing down the supernal pleasure, Mahanara from the river that's going out of Eden, Canal. The odios are even more than that. When he's drawing this blessing into Egypt, in a tumura zet, in a, in in and in contrary to this. Oh no, wait. So what, what, the fact that he's bringing such blessing into Egypt, Egypt at that time, even before this whole thing happened, was in a very, very, they were pretty powerful, but they were steeped in darkness. So much so, their, their immorality was so strong that they are called the garbage of the world. They were called ervasa'aretz. Ervas means the nakedness of the world. In other words, Israel was like the head of the world. They were called the nakedness, which means the, 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 the impure of the unpure. Now they had a chance when Yaakov was there so that they should rise from being such a low society to become attached to Israel and to the Jewish people and to help. And therefore they would be elevated from the lowest place. They would have been elevated to the highest. So again, not only financially, and, and but also in terms of content and spiritual stature, they would have been given such a high, such a high level. Instead of, in, in the place of Egypt being the nakedness of the world, which is the lowest. Nasas by Aliyah, they were given the chance to have an elevation. To become a support of holiness and attached to holiness which is the ultimate goodness of holiness nevertheless Paro ignores all of this Paro rejects all of this 
He says, the river is mine. I created myself. Here I am giving you such, such, God is being so gracious and so kind. And he's giving him the ultimate blessing. And he is so ungrateful. But what is that showing? It, for the ultimate thing. That notwithstanding the fact that Pharaoh is such a miserable lowlife, <laughs> such a loser, such a lowly entity that can be given everything and yet ignore and tries to decide to reject it all. Yet, until he, Pharaoh fell, which was a few hundred years later, he, he enslaved the Jewish people for 200 years. Until that time, the infinite blessing was flowing over there. And Pharaoh was receiving all that blessing. So what does that show you? How low God can come. He can come even into a being who is so, so, so low and be so ungrateful and yet the infinite can be there. That the infinite one comes down without an end. Descends and reveals himself even on such a low level. I'm going to open the light here. It's getting a little dark. We're moving over here through... Let's finish up quickly. Okay. Mamshech Bahamaimer. Now the the Rebbe, the uh, the Friedrich Rebbe continues in the discourse. Ashikamoyken. Now here's the thing: we can sit over here and speak about the bad, evil Pharaoh, and think, "Wow, what a what a what a, what a terrible guy." And the Rebbe says, "But you know, you gotta you gotta realize that all these impure possibilities exist within ourselves as well. We also have sometimes these this this ugliness." That we can be recipients of divine blessings and and not and not and not acknowledge, and not only that we can, and we can be like Pharaoh. Sadly, that we we know where the blessing is coming from, but yet we choose to to dismiss it. It has it has like many levels to it. Obviously, it's not as gross and as despicable like Pharaoh, but it still finds its way. And we have to look deep inside our soul to purge. If we have any bit of this Pharaoh inside of us. We, we do the work to get rid of it. And he gives an example. That this is all we can have to find this in our service. In each and every one of us. As we said earlier, everything is nogeya. Everything is important to man's service. In business people. And, and, he's gonna, and, and the, the way the previous Rebbe puts it, he differentiates the Jewish people into two groups, business people and then rabbinic uh, entity, people that study Torah all day. So the R. And both of them, no matter which class you belong to, those that are more occupied with worldly affairs of doing business, no matter those studious people, rabbis and the like, that yeshiva people who study all day, both of them can experience this darkness of receiving divine blessing and act like Pharaoh. So we have to be very careful not to do that. Because by doing that, we end up forfeiting all the blessing we get. So we shouldn't. The by business people, it's what a person can think. And remember, he said earlier, just like Pharaoh claims the river is mine, we can see we can do that with our businesses. 
God gives you success, whatever it is. And instead of recognizing the success is coming from God, the verse says, you will say in your heart, God warns the Jewish people, you will come into Israel, I'll give you all the blessings, and what will you do? God forbid, you'll start saying in your heart, the my power and my strength of my hand made me all this wealth. Now, now since we're dealing with a person who is a believer, and generally you're a religious Jew, you're an observant person, you went to Jewish school, you know that God is the blessing, and you have natural faith. So he says, Agam, so it's, he wants to compare it to, to Paro, Faro, Paro, uh, uh, Paro having a meeting with Jacob. Yaakov comes into his office, into his uh, palace, and blesses him. So he knows where the blessing is coming from, and yet he chooses to deny. So he wants to point that out in a subtle way, that we have that as well. Even though naturally, organically, we have belief in God. Even though a person knows. And a person believes with simple faith. The birches hitashir, that the blessing of God is what gives wealth. Nevertheless, while I am engaged in my work and my business, who he thinks the he thinks that ah, I'm so smart, I'm so great, I made it. Instead of every time you make money, every time you have a good day, right away, recognizing with deep thinking. God was nice to me today. He gave me, and let me see what I can do with this extra money to help God. Maybe I can give extra tzedakah. Maybe I can help someone out. Maybe I can do something, move the world. You know, the thought is, ah, oh, I did well. I'm, 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 I'm great. I'm awesome. And the person becomes more smug and more, uh, more uh, self-absorbed. And through this, the Rebbe says that a person can fall even lower. In other words, there's two things on the one the Friedrich Rebbe says in the discourse, you even say Baruch Hashem. A person can even say with his mouth, Oh, yeah, Baruch Hashem, you know, business is going great. And while you're saying Baruch Hashem, which means blessed God, that business is going great, there's a certain swelling of ego when you're doing well. I mean, obviously, we're dealing with a very difficult challenge. The, the nature of our animal self is that inflates every time something works out, you right away start thinking and to take credit for yourself. So that's where the work is. It's not easy to continuously remember, no, 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 no. I have no power at all. Every single thing that I get is a blessing from God. So you have to constantly deflate that ego and, and thank God. Replace the inflation of ego with gratefulness. Um, but he says as a result of like, having this sense of personal um, 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 personal uh, credit, taking credit for the, for, for the successes, a person can fall lower, actually until he becomes so firm and a person becomes so strong and, 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 and so steeped in one's own existence and one's own self. To the point that a person becomes like inflate, um, means a person becomes um, haughty just with existing. It's a challenge. It's a challenge which comes with, with, with success. Successful people can a lot of times become very self important in their own eyes. Uh, and it's not like, okay, tell me, so what are you so proud of? It's 
because you have a little money in the bank. So it is. It doesn't mean it's not like I'm proud because I decided that I'm so smart and I'm so, no, just the fact that I am because there is a certain sense of, 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 of comfort and of power that it can corrupt the mind so much that you just become like important just because you, just because you exist. That's it. Just, just your, just the existence itself of a person makes him feel so, so like the in, you know, and then he explains so much. And therefore what happens is when 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 business when you're doing well here he doesn't say it the, the rebbe doesn't say it but in the previous rebbe's discourse he goes on to explain and what the result of that is is when you're doing well you're like sitting on top of the world you feel that everybody owes you everything just because you are like you want acknowledgement from everybody recognition from everybody you know you feel superior to people like but the moment there's a bad day and you're losing money, you become so devastated. You become so crushed. You become so heartbroken. You become sad and depressed. As if you're the, almost like you become so the, um, the opposite. You become so small in your own eyes. You become feel, you feel worthless. But why are you feeling worthless? Because I don't, I look at me, I, 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 I did a bad deal. I, I lost money and then I'm worthless. Both of them are incorrect. The fact that you feel so important when you did well, that's because you think you did well, didn't do well. God decided that day to give you a blessing. So instead, feel grateful to him instead of self-importance. If it's not good, then, then, then realize that God today, for whatever reason, didn't give you the blessing. Or there's some greater good that God wants you to come to. You have to pray a little more. It's nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with your... It's not, so don't feel small when it's not going good and don't feel big when it is going good. Just be free. Just be... Count your blessings and share those blessings as much as you can. So you're happy even when you're there. Things are not going good. I'm happy. I'm like, what's wrong? So now it's not so good. So I don't have the, the excessive, you know, monies I had yesterday. Fine. But I'm alive, thank God. And I'm okay. And everything is good. And I have a family or whatever it is that you should think about the goodness that you do have. And thank God for that. Not to become a completely is the problem with feeling when you feel inflated with with when, when things are good and you feel so deflated when things are is a sign that that even though on some level you believe that's true it's not that a person doesn't believe in god but their primary consciousness is filled with is in a is in a, in a godless state you feel that you that it's you that's the that is the source of your blessings like pharaoh says the river is mine so if the river is yours, if the river is not kicking one day, it's your fault. But if you will, it's not your fault. It's God is giving, God is not. More or less. So you're always happy. You're always in a good state of mind. And when the blessings are there, you use the blessings for good things. Blessings are not there. So you hope for a better day. And you're, but you're still in a, you're not, don't feel, you know, you, you, it's not like you're depressed and can't get out of bed. Th that, that's the idea he explains in the discourse. So this is a this is a pharaoh virus. If a person falls into this, this is a getting a little in you know, but now he, the Rebbe explains it. Ah. So now the Rebbe is downloading from the next Rebbe, from the fifth Chabad Rebbe. Barucha, the, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash of Shmuel explains. In the in the in the Maimer Mayim Rabin. He has a long discourse called Mayim Rabin. And he says something so beautiful. When a person knows that the blessings of God is what brings us wealth. 
when a person knows and recognizes, knows it deeply, that it's only God's blessing that gives me my wealth. Us then, you have then that itself brings God's blessing so much so. Then God will give the person a blessing in all that you do. There's a verse that says, I will bless you in all that you do. And here, I think this line is so magical, so beautiful. The verse that I will bless you in all that you do means the emphasis on the world all. All means you'll have mazel and success even when you do the tiniest, smallest thing, suddenly, for like unexpectedly this small little action let's see you, you you know you 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 invested in in a little bit of money or a little bit of something a little bit of your time in a small little thing and suddenly it explodes out of your control with success because you know that it's god's blessing so god just wants you to make a little container for him to hide his blessing but it's really god's blessing so the business you're doing, the investment that you're doing is not the source of your, your of your of your income. The income is the divine blessing. God, if it's God's blessing, why don't you sit home and just wait for the the the, 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 the your, your pockets to be filled with cash? The answer is that would mean a miracle. God doesn't want to do a miracle, open miracles. God wants to run the world in a natural way. So God asks of us to create for him hiding places where he can hide behind and give us a blessing. But he doesn't say that these hiding places have to be so perfect. You have to wake up six o'clock in the morning and go to sleep 12 o'clock at night because you're so busy with your business. He can send your your blessings even if you go in and work a couple, just a few few hours and the rest of the time you study Torah and do mitzvahs. If you know that it's God's blessings, that the, the little things you're going to do are suddenly going to be so blessed with so much blessing. And you, are, you see people that way, that the, every little thing they touch turns to gold. The smallest things. The Indian Amrai Bakol, what does it mean Bakol? Pidish Kol Masha Yase. Anything you do, Yala Latov will be successful. Ula Atzlacha, and it will have, it will, will, will rise to good, and it will be, it will have success. Shetzi Hatzlacha, Yaseda, person will have enormous success. Gambasi is never cut, and even when you do something very minor. Sheyes Ashemizet, one will become very wealthy, but Oisherav Atzum with abundant wealth. That's because you remember that God is your God, Piddish. That God is the one who gives you the blessing to have to, to make wealth. But when a person, God forbid, becomes foolish, and as it says, this is a verse that he, he brings a verse of Proverbs where it says, the foolishness of man. The stupidity of man make him go in crooked ways. What does that mean? Which are the ways? This is what it says. Lots of thoughts are in the heart of man. What does that mean? When a person begins to think that the blessings are not coming from God and you think that at least you're a significant partner and a significant um, um, a producer of your own wealth. So what happens then? Then you become obsessed with your business and obsessed so much that you don't stop and you think that if you're going to do more and more and more and more. And the, and the, and the, and the Rebbe Marash says over there that a person starts getting so caught up, you end up sometimes doing crooked things. You end up sometimes doing schemes. 
You end up doing it being a little crooked in your business because you think it's up to you and if you're going to do it. Sometimes you end up endangering yourself, doing dangerous things, going you know, far and whatever, getting involved in shady stuff and who knows what, even if it's a danger in the end, God forbid, people end up getting hurt by once you start going into the dark places and, and you lose everything. It's all because... You didn't meditate every day on the idea that God gives you the blessing. Because if you meditated, you didn't have to go run across the other end of the world. Didn't have to go turn over. You didn't have to work 24-7. Pray to God. Open yourself up to Hashem's blessing. Do a little bit and God will bless you. But if not, what happens is, Shem stab the lahasit. Now, what, the reason why, what drives really a person into this madness is what happens is, and you when you feel a little bit that it's yourself, plus once one's own ego is inflated, then you look around and you see, even when the person becomes very successful, you look at other people and you see that they are a little more successful. So I have a lot of wealth, thank God I'm any, but I don't have a yacht. And so Mr. So-and-so does have his own private yacht. And for me to get a yacht, I need, uh, I need my private airplane. Once you start coveting and want things that are not belonging to you, which means you start getting out of your hand because you some become so self-important. If I'm rich, then I should be so crazy rich like Mr. So-and-so. I need to be in Forbes magazine. I need to be the top, top this. And no matter, even though I can support my family and I give enough to help and do a lot of good, it's never enough. I need more and more and more because I'm so important because I need to be, right? And then what happens is most of these people end up, God forbid, that they could, I'm not saying that, they could lose everything. And then you start trying to get things that are that you don't have any, that you don't really have a connection to. They're not meant for you. And that's because you want to at least be rub shoulders with Mr. So and So. You want to be on the on the on the again on the on the level of like the top 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 tier. She because this guy does have his yacht and this guy does have his own private ten golf course. And that's all because of the narrowness of one's mind. Love and say to appreciate who you, you know, you know what, what my place is. I'm a small little person over here that God is giving me, and let me appreciate the gifts that I have. And the person is lacking in understanding his own true stature of where he is. And that brings leads a person to thinking the my own strength, my own power led me to all of this. Everything is dependent on my own, my own doings. And I don't give credit to the blessing of God, that it's all God's blessing. So then, not only does the person now lose out, because they don't have that amazing blessing. What's the amazing blessing? The, the amazing, as we said before, is that you can do a tiny thing, and God blesses it that even the smallest little business thing that you do has enormous success. Not only does a person forfeit that, but even worse than that, the person ends up losing even what they had before this. And he brings over there examples of how people lose everything. To the point, and the more you lose, the more desperate you become, and the more desperate a person becomes, you end up doing stupid things. And as we said before, getting involved in shady business with who knows what, and then and that, and then one day long, the FBI shows up, and the person is busted, and they end up miserable, being uh, whatever. 
or they get caught up with with the mafia and with the who knows what, and they, they and they end up hurting themselves. God forbid. God forbid. Hashem should protect everybody. She is stuck in Bissakana, and the person ends up. But sometimes, because in this race and race and race, that a person loses their mind, and they can't stop once they're in it. They end up, you know, like you have the Ponzi schemes. You have the. All of this comes from the wrong, the wrong foundation. That it's my power and my strength that gives me wealth. If I know that it's God that's blessing me, I just know I'm relaxed, I'm calm. God wants me to feed my family, take care. I'm happy with what he gives me. If he gives me wealth, that's awesome. And I try to do something. It's not like you start sitting. You're always there. You do business. You're not. But it's, it's constantly with a deep understanding that God is giving me the blessing. And then whatever you get, you're satisfied, and then the blessings come, and you can become wealthier, and you can do even more good, and so on and so forth. So he's telling you, he's warning that the concept of Pharaoh can exist as well, and similar to Pharaoh. Pharaoh also lost, not only didn't he gain what Yaakov blessed him, in the end he ended up losing even what he had. But now he turns, and he says, this even exists, you, even amongst the, those who study Torah all day. Not in business, but in their Torah. Because Torah is also a gift from God. All the knowledge that we get and all the insight that we get is not, I'm so smart and I'm so great and I'm so brilliant. God is blessed. God blesses a person with knowledge. And if, if God forbid, we're not vigilant to constantly remember, I has nothing to do with me. It's a special blessing I'm getting from Hashem. Then God forbid, a person can take knowledge and become arrogant with that knowledge and then take the very holy knowledge from God and 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 be ungrateful to use that knowledge and to come to conclusions that are ungodly and unholy against Torah. People who study Torah, even when a person studies Torah, and on an overall, on a general level, he knows it's it's God's Torah, which is what is the will and the wisdom of God. The idea that they blessed in the Torah first. The sages say that you have to make a blessing before you study Torah. The idea of a blessing before you study Torah is, we do it in the morning, once a day, is the idea to be conscious that the Torah is God's wisdom. It's not just a, 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 a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal uh, um, discipline or, uh, uh, you know, it's not just... Um, a brilliant uh, wisdom and understanding. It's an intelligence. It, it is divine. It's possible that while a person is learning, a person can forget on the giver of the Torah. And the Torah becomes just a, a matter of pure intelligence. In other words, he, a person stops feeling the holiness of it, which keeps the person humble. Similar to, similar to the business people. Just like by the business person we said, even though the person believes with perfect faith that God is the one that gives him the blessing, even though the person says Baruch Hashem and so forth, but at the foundation, the person is not bringing God in. The person is just filling it with own ego. The same can also be a person's 
recognition that God, that this is God's wisdom can be on the outer superficial peripheral. And in the inner space, a person can think, oh, look how smart I am. Who believe that Torah is in the study of Torah, that Gam even though he knows that it is the Torah of God, but the learning itself is not the way it should be. It becomes a matter of just pure um, information. It becomes an element of, 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 uh, of intelligence, but not divine. Even though deep inside he knows that this is the this is the Torah of God, he knows it where he knows it in his soul, he knows it in his faith, but he doesn't know it in his mind. But he thinks I'm too intelligent to understand, and this part of it is my intelligence. Or he doesn't say about himself. He says the Torah is both; it's divine but it's also a, a, an intelligence. And what happens is, at a certain point, the, the godly becomes less and less and less, and the, it, the intellectual element of it becomes more and more and more, and to the point that you lose all sense of the divine of the Torah. And then it can, God forbid, leave a, reach a point that a power of Torah the person says a final conclusion, a hal- he renders a halachic decision, which is opposite what God wants. We find that there were many people who were scholars of Torah and used the Torah to, to, to go against the Torah, to come to conclusions that were they, they themselves knew is not is not is not is not uh, not what it's against the mitzvahs. You use like you find sometimes people take certain concepts of Torah and that they find a midrash or a certain te- teaching and then they use that to negate the, the law and say because it says in Torah so and so therefore uh, you know therefore we can you know you can behave in this in this manner or you can do so and so you don't have to keep Shabbos you don't have to keep this because the Torah says you know don't uh, don't provoke the nations and if I'm going to keep Shabbos in front of people I'm going to prov- I'm going to look too Jewish or if I wear my tzitzit out, uh, people will or whatever. And the, and the Torah says, do not be a provocator of it. Whatever, you can come up with all kinds of misconstrued ideas to diminish uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 service, the service of Hashem and, and true Torah. The Indian who the idea is, uh, now he's going to download, we're almost at the conclusion of the discourse, he's going to download from the last download. He's holding by the fifth Chabad Rebbe. After the fifth Chabad Rebbe, which is Reb Shalom Ber, is the sixth Rebbe, which the whole Mimer is based on him. And the Rebbe is the seventh Rebbe. So again, he, he brought everybody in and is the last one. The Kunturis Eitz the, 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 the fifth Chabad Rebbe was the one who established the Chabad Yeshiva. Before that, there was Chabad Hasidim, but there was no Yeshiva system. And the fifth Chabad Rebbe established the Chabad Yeshiva. And the intention in establishing that Yeshiva was that the yeshiva boys should not only learn Talmudic study, but they should, the extroteric element of Torah, but they should also learn Hasidus as part of their daily regimen of Torah. And um, that they should also learn the esoteric, which are these teachings that we're learning now, this kind of teaching. And the Rebbe wrote an entire, and a lot of people opposed that. They said, this is new. You know, yeshiva boys should only study Talmud. So the Rebbe wrote a special pamphlet called the, the Kunturis Eitz Hachayim, the tree of life, which he explains that there are two trees in, in Gan Eden. 
One tree is the tree of knowledge, and the other one is the tree of life. He explains that if you only learn Talmud, it's possible that that should become like the tree of knowledge, which is the good and bad, which means it can lead a person to darkness. And the very Torah itself can become corrupted, like the tree of knowledge. But if you also learn the esoteric part of Torah and you connect it, then you're connecting the tree of knowledge to the tree of life. In the deeper, higher Hasidic teachings, you can't forget God. Because what are we learning all time? All, every moment we're learning about God. God is the subject. Since God is the subject, you can't forget. It makes you so godly conscious that you can't learn it and become arrogant. It doesn't allow it. Keeps on showing you the truth. That's why he said, I'm establishing this, this, this school. Because over here, I'm going to have boys that are going to study and grow up in this system. They're going to be very God conscious. And their Torah that they're going to study, even their Talmudic study, is not going to lead them to arrogance and to misconstrued the teachings of the Torah. So that's what he's bringing over here. The Kuntr he says, over there he brings the concept, the Torah Shabbat Over there he brings an amazing concept that it says that sages say that the oral Torah, which is the Talmud, the Talmud and so forth, is compared to a fig. I don't know in which context that the, that the sages say that it's compared to a fig. Now he says, we find elsewhere that the fig, according to some opinions, the fig was the, was the, the tree of knowledge was definitely not an apple. But according to some opinions, it was a fig. It was a te'ena. Because it says after they sinned, they covered themselves with with, 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 uh, with leaves of a fig tree. And the reason they used the fig tree to cover their, na their nakedness was because they sinned with the fig. So, And all the other trees didn't want to give them their branches to cover. The fig tree, because it was the, had to supply them with the cover. So the fact that he says that the fig is the tree of knowledge and the sages say that the that the that the uh, oral Torah is com compared to a fig. What does that tell you? That the oral Torah is associated with the tree of knowledge. It's like one of the opinions in the midrash. How can you say? How can you say on the oral Torah, which is God's word? That it's the tree of knowledge. That means it has good and bad. The Torah is holding. Well, the MS Mavur, but he says, but he explains over there, he explains, came Berea Mahemna. It says so openly in Zohar. The Torah Shabbat will learn the Torah. The Zohar says explicitly that the oral Torah is the tree of good and bad. So you can ask the question on the Zohar how is that possible? It's holy, it's the word of God. So the Alter Rebbe explains, and the, and the, and the Rebbe Rashab brings it over there. The Torah itself is purely the word of God. But the Torah encloses itself to talk about subjects of the world. And the world is a mixture of good and bad. Since the Torah encloses itself to talk about the subjects of the world, and when the person is learning it, you're learning about these subjects. And since these subjects, the world itself is a mixture of good and bad, where there's a lot of ego, it can inflate a person's ego that they should forget about them. That's why you have to also study the part of the Torah that is not enclosed in the world. And which part of the Torah is not enclosed in the world? The esoteric teachings of the Torah that deal with the divine. When you learn that, you're, you're connected to the tree of life, which is not enclosed in the world. That's the idea. Because it's enclosed in the in the tree of good and evil. Which is the matters of the world. Since it's enclosed in the matters of the world, it's possible to cause the person who is studying Torah that the person should 
should become in a state that's not good. The Gemara says, when a person doesn't merit, the Talmud says that when you don't merit, the Torah can become to you a, a poison. So the Rebbe says, what does it mean you don't merit? The word merit also comes from the word pure. When you're not refined and you're not pure, and the Torah itself that you're learning can bolster a person's ego instead of bringing more divine consciousness. Now, the Torah becomes a itself a poison. explains Since Talmudic law is very much enclosed in physical substances, and when a person is discussing the law, whether the person is obligated to pay for the damages or not, you're involved in legal law. You're occupied within a donkey and in a cow and in an accident and in a and an argument and a thief and a liar. And you're discussing all these things. These things can have an impact. The person is engaged. I'm going very fast now because I have to finish because I have to go down the mincha. In a very, very gashmiistic way. A person can become arrogant. Forget the godliness of the Torah. Until the person can fall very low. He can reach to a point where the intellect becomes dominant. And it's concealing the godliness. You don't feel any more the god over there. And the Torah becomes a poison. And that's why he says in the Maimer that, that even yeshiva students who study all day they can be similar to the businessman who becomes inflated with his own existence. The Yaz Ba'avasa, he becomes filled with his own, the Bale Asik of a businessman. Just like the businessman takes the wealth that God gives him and he's receiving it as a blessing and then takes credit for it and he makes it his own and instead of wrecking, and then he loses it all. The same can happen with, the, with, with a person who learns Torah as well, where he can take the very the gifts of divine creativity and knowledge that God gives him, and he can take that and be, and, and become inflated with his own existence. Or can use it against God. God to, to the point that he becomes completely ingrateful. He says, to me is my river. In this case, the river means the flow of knowledge. I created my knowledge. Look how smart I am. I finished Chas. I'm such a genius. I'm such a rabbi. I'm so I know everything and so forth. Become a know-it-all. There's no humility there, and it's horrible. And this is to each and every one of us because it's it's the danger of of. Is that, that's why every day requires work. Every you can never let your God down. Now we're holding the last chapter, tiny bit. So now we understand what it means. That the infinite one comes down. He comes down even to business people. And he gives them infinite blessing, even in a place where it's so not a vessel because the person can eventually even take that blessing and turn against God. And the same is also God comes down to enlighten people with, with Torah. And even there, it can be in a way where it's this. So that means that God is lowering, lowering into a place where so non vessel And yet that's the awesomeness of the infinite. He can come all the way down. Till it gets to the lowest lows. Like he says in the end, that's what it means that the infinite comes down eventually into nature. What does nature mean? Nature in Hebrew means from the word teva. Teva means tubu. Tubu means like something is sunken in the water. When something sinks in the water, you don't see it anymore. God comes down so much into such a low place 
where his energy and his life force becomes completely concealed and you don't see him anymore. Even though he's everything and the energy is infinite, it can be completely ignored. He is so obscured. Behest of the hell and be yoiser in such concealments. Adam Adrega Yoiser Achren is to the last and final levels. Shakavana Bezei, the intention. Even to things that oppose holiness, even there God descends. But here's the redeeming part: even when he's enclosing himself in the lower world, so so low, it still remains divine and it's still infinite which he's going to explain in the next chapter which is going to be the chapter of next year and then we're going to learn the commentary of the Rebbe on that one as well hopefully Mashiach will be here long before that but because even when he comes down so low it's still it's still infinite it's still God himself it's still the infinite light of God that's why there is hope that even those who fall and fall into the trappings of the lowness never can always return. You can always do tshuva. As the verse says, no one will be cast away forever. Because God is still there. God is, even if it's like the, the famous teaching of one of the great rabbis that he I, that he says, when you fall, since Hashem is everywhere, where do you fall? You fall into God's hands. So even when we fall into our own arrogance, ultimately we fall into God's, God is cradling, cradling us even when we fall. We fall into him. So it's like a mother is always catching her child when the child falls. So, and since since we never we can always stand up again, and from heaven they 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 as he uses the words of here they squander the treasures. in which we get the other side of the ain sof, the God as he is above everything. strength to the armies of Hashem. not only to the generals, the regular people. The infantrymen, the regular guys, they're given enormous strength to win the war. The other and on the contrary, the main victory, while the Ancheyachayel is the simple soldiers. They're the ones who make the victory. To convert Sheker, the lies, and the foolishness of the world. That they should become beams for the Mishkan. Notwithstanding the fact that this world is so dangerous and dark and all that, yet in the end, we are able to transform this darkness. Them and make them into standing walls, like a like a beam that attaches the roof to the floor, to the point where it becomes make for me a temple, and I will dwell there. Every single Jew becomes a home for God to dwell in Him. And through the work of all of us, Mamshich, every single one individually, Mamshichim, we draw down Iker Shechina, the essence of the Shechina, Betachtonim, down here in the lowest world, like it was in the beginning, the Iker Shechina Betachtonim, the main Shechina was in the lowest world, we convert the world into the garden of God, like it was initially, it was the garden, and then it became corrupted, and we bring it back to what it was, Shanasa Oidapam, it becomes another time, that God says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride, with the coming of Mashiach, when God will say, I have arrived back down here on earth. Let it be right now. Right now. Okay, thank you for joining. What a mimer. Okay.